Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Escaping Society, mile marker 128. I'm Teresa. And I am Gumby. And I am usually the most scatterbrained right when I hit record for doing the podcast. So I'm just going to let y'all know that uh, I'm trying. Yeah, it's like a deer in headlights look she gets, and she always like treats me like I was the one driving. <laughs> it's all your fault. <laughs> So, we have a number of things I'm excited to talk about today. Let's see if we can pull this off. But I thought maybe we'd, um, I'm not sure if you want to do this, but I was thinking maybe we could share the uh, the book that we recently read together, the Tao Te Ching. Well, you know I love me some Tao Te Ching, so yeah, we can take all the time we want with that. All right, so there's, um, there's this book of uh, verses that Lao Tzu wrote how long ago like 2500 years ago is the guess but nobody's really sure even if Lao Tzu authored this book it's all kind of draped in mystery but the the current or the best guess is this guy named Lao Tzu wrote this book 2500 years ago that became the Tao Te Ching and this edition that we're reading is uh oh yeah compiled or edited by an English version by Ursula K. Le Guin which a lot of people are familiar with I know her by her book so Wizard of Earthsea Oh, that's... And she's kind of a famous anarchist. When you start looking up anarchist quotes, you'll run into her name, Ursula K. Le Guin. So this this is just so beautiful, and I'm not going to say it's easy to read like a dime store romance novel is easy to read, but it's really enriching, and uh, if you so choose, you could read it in one sitting. I think we just, we just devoured it. It was so good. Yeah, I liken it to like uh, going to a well for a drink. Mm-hmm. I keep wanting to go back and take another gulp. I mean, there's just something magical about this book. And there's 81 um, chapters, but chapters, it's not really the right word because it's kind of more like poetry in this version. So um, the chapters are really short. And Gumby, you got this kind of brilliant idea to just look up like, what does the Tao Te Ching say for my birth year? Yeah, and aren't there 81 chapters? Yes. So your birthday, if you were born one year later, that would not have worked for you. Yours is the last chapter. Yeah, so that's kind of special, I guess. And if you were born after 81, like 1 through 81, uh, I'm not sure what you would do. Maybe you'd like delve into the numerology of your year. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it was written for people to look up their birth year. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could just flip it open at random and find something meaningful. Yeah. So you want to read yours? Sure. All right. Get you some. So I was born in 1976. So chapter 76 is hardness. Of course it is. Yeah, baby. Living people are soft and tender. Corpses are hard and stiff. The 10,000 things, the living grass, the trees, are soft, pliant. Dead, 
they're dry and brittle. So hardness and stiffness go with death. Tenderness, softness go with life. And the hard sword fails. The stiff tree is felled. The hard and great go under. The soft and weak stay up. And I thought that was a good one for me because I I do tend to... uh, I don't know, kind of be hard, you know, it's got the kind of, in our culture, the connotation with, uh, you know, erections and sexuality, which is a big part of my life. And uh, also just the kind of like being a hard, tough person. Um, I tend to be kind of prickly and it's a good message for me to uh, try to tap into that that life, you know, like that, that stiffness, that hardness, that stubbornness, that uh, holding to a view um, is the pathway to death as the Tao Te Ching, I think, is leading us to see that it, it doesn't reflect life, which is soft and pliable and ever-changing and alive. So I appreciated that message. Yeah. And can you get that, listeners? I mean, you've listened or you have the ability to listen to us for, what did I say, 127 episodes thus far? Do you get why that's so interesting for Gumby to have that message to him, delivered to him? And then, uh, maybe not in this order, but we decided to look up Sherlock, our dogs. Oh, my God. I just think it's so cool because if, I mean, you might not know, listeners, about all the things our dog does. But this is just, um, God, it is so spot on. It's kind of a little creepy, but in a just a really zen way. So Sherlock was born in 2010, so this is like chapter 10, and it's called Techniques. Can you keep your soul in its body, hold fast to the one, and so learn to be whole? Can you center your energy, be soft, tender, and so learn to be a baby? Can you keep the deep water still and clear, so it reflects without blurring? Can you love people and run things and do so by not doing? Opening, closing the gate of heaven, can you be like a bird with her nestlings? Piercing bright through the cosmos, can you know by not knowing? To give birth, to nourish, to bear and not own, to act and not lay claim, to lead and not to rule. This is mysterious power. Yeah, and as Teresa pointed out, if you don't know Sherlock, the living Sherlock, you know, <laughs> you might kind of miss how that applies. Uh, but yeah, it's so much his personality. He, when we take a walk, he's he leads. He always gets in front without ruling, without being a leader. He's also looking to me for direction. And, you know, so many of the things in there, can you uh, get in the deep water without muddying it up? I mean, the first thing, he loves the water. And the first thing he does is muddy it up. He gets starts pulling rocks out of it. And we're always like, Sherlock, get out of there. We're going to take a bath. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah. He has this relationship with vultures and, uh, and also with the things that he seems to love, but he's like unattached to. He's he's such a Zen master, actually. And a bird with its nestlings. Like that's how it feels <laughs> when we're in the van and on that memory foam as we're in this big nest of bedding. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I call him my baby. So he has to learn to be a baby. 
So here's mine, because this is leading uh, to a little story I want to share with you. So mine is 81, telling it true. True words aren't charming. Charming words aren't true. Good people aren't contentious. Contentious people aren't good. People who know aren't learned. Learned people don't know. Wise souls don't hoard. The more they do for others, the more they have. The more they give, the richer they are. The way of heaven profits without destroying. Doing without outdoing is the way of the wise. And I just am like, wow, that is so very uh, thought-provoking, so very deep. And I think we read this before we went to a little get-together the other night because I kind of had it in my mind just in the background, you know, thinking about like, yeah, I really wish uh, I could be a little more wise. And uh, I went to this party, uh, saw some old friends, and um, afterwards, I, I really was in this mindset of, I wish I knew with this unique lifestyle that we lead, I wish I had the ability to convey a higher message more eloquently, more wisely. And yet I just, I seem to get in my own way so much. And even the last episode that we recorded, I, I'm like, damn, why? I say things and that's not exactly what I mean. It's, ah, it's so irritating. It's, it's like, I just need to slow down and, and quiet myself, be still and let this message from a higher source come to me. So I was really thinking about that on the way home as Gumby was driving us home from this party. And in a way, I was praying, like in my own little non-structured way, that I'd, I'd love to give myself over to a higher message. So as we're driving home that night, I see that uh, this school in Durham has a banner, like a big sign, on the outside of the fence that's surrounding the schoolyard. And on the sign it says, We deserve a better future. And it just really got, it just, it got lodged in my brain. And I started kind of thinking about how, I don't know if I would have ever thought to say that or ask that of anyone, like, we deserve a better future. I'm not saying that I'm, you know, humble and, and wise or anything, but it's just a strange way to put that. Yeah, we want a better future, makes sense, but who's to say who deserves what? And what is a what does that even mean? What is a better future? And if you deserve it, why is the sign facing outward? Yeah, if we could agree on what better means, we might have a better chance of getting there. <laughs> better. <laughs> Suppose that this question, like, you, we deserve a better future, maybe, maybe the question is flawed. 
maybe you're mistaken. Maybe you actually don't deserve a better future. Perhaps you not having a better future leads to the healing of the entire planet. But perhaps instead you're right. You do deserve a better future. But who better to give you a better future than yourself? But who has taught you to build a better future? Our generation, Generation X, we're so quick to share with the younger generations how much everyone and everything sucks. As Teresa was discussing these ideas with me, it occurred to me, you know, there's something that I heard said a lot growing up, and I've said things in this neighborhood as well, of like, people suck. People are parasites. We say that sometimes. Jean. Yeah. And if I, <laughs> if I say that, you know, like, people are parasitic. People suck. It's not going to shock anybody. It's not something you've never heard before. But I reflected and like, of course, I wasn't around in the 1950s, but I started thinking, what if that's a pretty new pessimism? Like, what if someone in the 1950s, if you said, man, people suck, everybody look at you strange, like, what's the matter with you? Like, I mean, God, what? where do you think you're going to get in life with that attitude? Yeah. You know, like, it's just something that Generation X started taking as a given and now we're raising the next generation with all the other lessons we're passing on with people suck, like an extreme misanthropy. Yeah. And if you've been told your whole life that people suck, your future is going to suck, and you also have no skills from anyone to change the situation, it's only natural to begin to believe that your future really is going to suck, like a self-fulfilling prophecy, thereby leading yet another young one down the path of nihilism, which we looked up the definition of nihilism. What does it basically boil down to? Oh, man, I wish I'd have written it down, but it's something like that everything is meaningless, basically. Like life is pointless. Yeah. And that's interesting because uh, there's, there's deep, thinking persons in history that came to a similar but very different conclusion because the meaning behind life is pointless brought them a clarity and enlightenment. Yeah, Peterson talks, I believe it was Peterson, talks a little bit about Nietzsche, who I think is one of the most mm -hmm. famous nihilists. And correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, I'm uh, going out on a limb here. I didn't do my homework. But uh, his, as Peterson points out and other people point out, his nihilism was much different. It was a more productive, like, it had a whole different tone and led to whole different places than the modern, just self-defeating, life is meaningless kind of nihilism. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead. I know you're uh, kind of taking us on a, a path here, Teresa. But uh, I wrote this stuff down because I was trying not to be so scatterbrained. Yeah, it helps to organize our thoughts. But uh, one of the things we realized about nihilists is if life is truly meaningless, if they really believed that, wouldn't they end their lives? I mean, this is the most pointless, meaningless, tedious, stupid thing possible. It seems like true nihilism would have ended itself in one generation. Like, boom, that, that was just a flash-in-the-pan kind of philosophy. Mm -hmm. The fact that it's continued, I think it's because nihilism is coupled with a, a sort of hypocrisy. Yeah. 
They're liars. They're lying. Yeah, they don't even believe that crap. They know there's value in life, which is why they choose it over death every day. It's like they, they being people who have this philosophy or lack of <laughs> a life philosophy, they think that they're being like clever. They're taking a shortcut to the the utmost truth that this this life nothing really matters but they're just going on like a little side route to smugville they're not actually arriving at enlightenment welcome to smugville mm. everything's uh, better here yeah. mm. or is it aren't you smart so all right so oh i lost my place here oh dag on it all right what if all right, so we talked about nihilism. <laughs> that was my bad. I interrupted. What if you still, after all of the finger pointing, meaning that, like, we deserve a better future, you give it to us, you know? Oh, life is, is pointless. You know, this is why everything sucks. You did it. So what if after all that finger pointing, though, as a nihilist, you believe that you do deserve a better future? Would you try to do something about it? But, of course, you have no training and really have no capacity to care to be trained. Wait a minute. What if you believe as a nihilist that you do deserve a better future? Was that what you said? Yeah. Could a nihilist believe that? Well, that's where I was heading next huh. was the, uh, the concept that we were mulling over the other day. So if you really have no training and no capacity to care to be trained, after all, what's the point? But there's still a side of you that feels compelled to try. But what you try, what you mean by a better future, is making the prophecy true. Life is pointless. What better way to live the rest of your life than to fight to make that true? And this is what I'm calling nihilist activism. A nihilist activist is one who actively attempts to make life pointless. Gumby, you had a different word for it. <laughs> I suggested that a good word for a nihilist activist, and these are kind of a paradoxical ideas when you first look at it. Even though when I looked up nihilist activist, I'm not the first one to have put these two words together. Um, but nihilist if they believe life is meaningless, they would be completely non-activists. What's to fight for? It's all meaningless. Activists are people who care a lot. They find meaning in all kinds of... They care about everything. They're getting out there and risking imprisonment, protesting, uh, opposition. So it's a strange coupling of words. And I think that is part of what we're seeing now is uh, what I call denialism. <laughs> you know, spelled like a nihilist. Um, and just a... A rejection of reality itself. Teresa and I got, you know, we went down to this beautiful river we call Medicine Rock River. It's quiet. We smoked some weed. Man, if you ever want to get rolling on a philosophical high, you go down to that river on a beautiful <laughs> autumn day and smoke some weed, boy. But um, we started exploring this, you know, like, what is this? What's happening now? What is this energy? What are these people getting out and doing? They're... It's an assault on reality itself. It's like an ultimate spear point of nihilism. It's not just, we hate Western civilization, let's tear it down. It goes, it just sails right past that. It's not even assault on life, like nihilist, you know, like life is meaningless. It goes past that. It's an assault on reality itself. Your own eyes are fooling you, 
she actually can have a penis. Yo, you think that was a guy? What, because he has a beard and a penis and testicles? No, actually, he said it's a she, and we all believe him. So it's an actual assault on the fundamentals of reality. It's like nothing I've ever seen before or heard of. It is the continuity of nihilist thinking, and yet these people are getting out and pushing it. They're really (laughs) aggressive. They're activists. Yeah. So it's strange. What would motivate nihilists to become activists? I feel like that's kind of what we're seeing is nihilist activists. And, um, you know, they'll say they have a cause. Like, we we, uh, believe in the environment. We're fighting for the environment. That's why we're activists. And yet, you've never seen a more removed people in your life. (laughs) They're always on their phones. I mean, I feel like they're more disconnected from the environment than ever before. And I think that's part of that hypocrisy of nihilism. You can't be a nihilist. You would have stopped eating. You would be dead. And so how do you fill this vacuum that is contrary to actual life? Because they're not actually nihilists. They fill it with pseudo-causes. Social justice warriors. Social justice. Isn't it remarkable how often the social justice movements actually... um, have racist undertones. One of the things I always like to focus on, and Teresa, jump in if I'm like messing up where you're trying to go with this, but is representation. Again, back to Judge Jackson. I mentioned her last episode. Biden specifically said he was looking for a person of color to fill this position. Now, I think that's a racist statement. I think that is a very racist statement. I got a big problem with that. When I brought that up on social media, people said, well, I like it because what Biden's saying is he wants more representation. If we're truly representing people, you know, in a fair way, um, apparently, correct me if I'm wrong, you've looked at these uh, numbers more recently than I have, but it's like one black person to every 10 white people would be an accurate representation. Is that around the neighborhood or am I wrong? Uh, I don't. It's it's more like, well, it's somewhere between, I think, 13 and 14 percent of the population in this country is that would uh, be slightly above one considered they they call themselves black yeah not so, biracial it, it, it's slightly less than 14 percent excluding people who are biracial that uh are identifying as black and with that biracial black it's like closer to 14 percent yeah so if we're actually looking at fair representation that reflects the american population that would be around the neighborhood we're looking for. So among 10 judges, one of them would be black, and that would be a pretty fair representation of the American population. A further problem with representation is I would say, okay, if it's about a person of color that represents the people of color in America, how about we do away with Judge Jackson and instead get three people of color to be on this whatever panel you want to name. Ben Carson, Clarence Thomas, and Mark Robinson. Oh, no, 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 no. That that doesn't work. Oh, that's right. None of them are women. How about a black woman? How about Candace Owens? No, 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 no. Well, we could actually couple her with another woman. Let's get more female representation there. Um, since a man can't really speak for a woman, he's not a good represent, representative for women, uh, we'll add Sarah Palin. And uh, I don't see any gay people up here. Let's get Josh Slocum up there. <laughs> you will see people, of course, back away from that. No, no, not them. 
And what do you know? It's not about representation at all. That was just a little ethical claim that was bullshit as soon as you call the bluff. It's about politics. It's about, we t- it takes us about right back to where we started. It's about getting someone in there under the guise of representation that will advance our politics. We don't care if they're black. We just think that if we say that it's important that they're black, more people will go along with it. Indeed, they do, because they'll be so caught up in all this racism that they don't notice that, oh, it's not just a black person. It's a black person that says the right things. Wink, wink. Right. It's all political. Yeah. It's all political. So it's just, it's pseudo crap. It's the same with environmentalism. It's the same with this whole uh, nihilist movement. And I've gone off on a tangent. That's okay. Um. So do you want to continue with where you're going? I, I feel like I'm taking you way away from where what you wanted to talk about. Well, um, I was going to bring up just briefly, uh, maybe you could help me out with this story about the one finger Zen. Oh, all right. That's an awkward fit. But <laughs> here's something I think happened that uh, adds to this nihilist activism. These people are getting out there. They're filling the vacuum with pseudo causes that, uh, you know, I was going into all that representation to expose that even the the cause of social justice is bullshit if you just pull the the veil back a little bit. It's a pseudo cause. They don't really care about uh, representation. They care about advancing a certain kind of politics. Parroting, if you will. Parroting. These people are being manipulated. Um, Their nihilism and their activism are being exploited. It's a very uh, engineered type of... uh, cause. So the one finger Zen, Teresa alluded to, I think one of the things that's getting messed up, I was actually in a debate on Facebook with a former student of mine. Mm. And um, he posted something about, you know, if you're, uh, I didn't write it down, but it was basically uh, kind of a woke statement. And I was debating with him and, you know, I'm not going to get into that right now, maybe another episode. But what he eventually said is, I'd like to sometime ask you what is truth? What are your thoughts on what is truth? That's a damn good question. What is truth? What is reality? I think here we're getting into some prickly shit that's kind of behind this nihilism. Through things like Zen teachers and deep teachings, we've come to accept that reality is not what we think it is. Even physics says you're mostly empty space. Reality is not what you think it is. We've got that message a hundred different ways. So people are trying to adopt this. Like, of course, this man can be a she. Who are you to define reality for this man who says she's a she? Of course, they're stepping on their own toes when they say this man gets to define your reality. (laughs) When you clearly see it's not a she. But it's representation. Hypocrisy is kind of the the flag of the day. Um, But yeah, this... uh, There's this old Zen story that I think really illustrates the danger of this really well. And I'll get to that in a minute. I think I want to go before that. Mm -hmm. Plato shares a concern that we shared in one of our former episodes, Leaf Stories and Singing Stones. And he tells the story of an Egyptian king, an ancient Egyptian king. This is a very old story. I think it predates the Zen story you alluded to. And a... I believe a god comes down and offers this king the gift of literacy to share with his kingdom. The king is turning over the pros and cons of it, thinking about the dangers. And one of the dangers he he notices about literacy is if things are written written down, people will be able to read and parrot knowledge that they don't actually possess. They just seem to possess. And then they will think they possess it. But all they've done is parrot it, which is not the same thing as having the knowledge. 
I think that's part of what ha- what has happened. It seems almost like it's Occam's razor. It's almost too simple to be true, but I think that is one of the underpinnings of what's happening now, this nihilism, is people have widely accepted the truth that reality is not the static, mechanistic thing we used to think it was. But they don't understand what that means, so they interpret it in a really bizarre way that's not the deep truth that Buddha was professing, for instance, when he questions reality, or Jesus, or a, a, a thousand other sages or teachers over time. Um, the Zen story that Teresa was alluding to, the one finger Zen, is there was a, uh, and I hope I don't butcher this, I'm going to try my best, but there was a teacher that was studying the way of Chan, or Zen, Chan predates Zen, and as his understanding came to fruition after long meditation, long searching, putting in the work to gain this truth, he came to an understanding where any question that was asked of him, he would hold up one finger. One finger. And to him, that was the truth. And the way he held up that finger, he conveyed a certain energy that people understood. Wow, this guy's got something. He became a teacher in turn. He would question his students from time to time. They'd come in to visit the master. And he'd ask them, you know, like, I want to see uh, what is your understanding? Demonstrate your understanding to me. What have you learned? Well, one day a student comes in. When he says, what is your understanding? The student smiles and he holds up one finger. The teacher reaches under his cushion and quicker than the eye can see, chops off the student's finger. Oh, my God. The student, horrified, grabs his hand, blood running down his arm, screams and starts to run out. And right before he leaves the the room, the teacher says, hey. The student turns around and he holds up one finger. And at that moment, the student became enlightened. I feel like this is a story warning about the very thing happening now. That master understood a deep truth. For him, it was the one finger. For another person, it might be, there is no one reality. It was parroted by the student who hadn't put in the work, the depth to really understand. And so I also don't think it was just a dramatic turn of the story that he cut off a finger, just to make the story seem more uh, edgy. I think that was an important part of the what the lesson of the, the story is trying to impart. It is that dire. It is worth getting your finger cut off because it is that dangerous to parrot knowledge that is not yours. Look where we've ended up. And I think that's part of what's happening. I used to do this. Like I said in the last episode, I regret a lot of things I've taught to kids. One of the things I used to do in my first year teaching outdoor education is a student would ask me for something, and I'd be like, I'll tell you what, if you can tell me what reality is, I'll do that. It would stimulate some really interesting conversations. But looking back and the way things have unfolded in the decades since, I wonder if I wasn't getting people that weren't ready, that did not have the platform to question reality, that led to things like this, Mm -hmm. that everybody's got their own reality. That's not quite true. That's not the whole understanding. There's another famous Zen saying, and I can't remember who said it, but it's mountains are mountains and rivers are rivers. That's what I used to think. Then when I started studying Zen, I realized that mountains are not really mountains and rivers are not really rivers. But then, after a whole life of studying Zen and understanding its depths, I realized that mountains are mountains and rivers are rivers. At first, that story's puzzling. It's like, well, what's the point? Exactly. You just came back to the beginning. Exactly. 
The point is, it was all about the journey. When he comes back to the original understanding, it's not the original understanding. I feel like this is another indication of this. You can't go around and say, oh, well, there's no reality. Like, what's your truth? What is truth? You know, it's like the Johnny Cash song, what is truth? (laughs) People aren't ready for this level of depth. They haven't put in the work. So you've got a lot of young people who are trying to parrot words and phrases they thought were profound, but haven't put in the time to understand. And the misinterpretation of it is what we're seeing in, in wreaking havoc in our world right now. They're missing half of the truth at least. There is a shared reality. Um, You may say you're a woman and you still have a penis and testicles. And you may be able to make an argument that uh, why does my reality usurp yours? You're ignoring that there is a shared reality. There's a reality that predates both of us. I can walk up and smack the shit out of that person. You can identify as someone who didn't get smacked, but that doesn't take the sting away. That doesn't take the memory that I just smacked the shit out of you. It happened. There is a shared reality. So I feel like that's part of what's happening, and that's part of what those stories warn about. Indeed. And just like in that story, what if these folks that are parroting this very profound observation about life, the nihilists, what if you look at the fingers that are pointing back at you. So like in that story, the the one was cut off. That pointer finger was cut off, but the rest of the fingers are pointing back at you. Instead of blaming outwardly and pointing at others, what if we examined ourselves and perhaps you might have a different perspective on reality? Yeah, I mean, taking it back to the, uh, you know, one of the biggest assaults on reality I can think of, the example is, you know, men pretending to be women, etc. But yeah, what if instead of, I feel like there wouldn't be so much of a problem if people were just exploring themselves and like, what if I could be a she? Let's explore that. It's the imposition of a reality. And once you think you're a victim, they feel like they had a reality imposed on them. Mm-hmm. that they were stuck in a what they call a gender, but they flip back and forth of what sex and gender means. But because of that, instead of reaching to a higher level where nobody's imposing anything on someone else, they're like, it's more of an attitude of how do you like it? I'm going to impose my reality on you. This is immature. This is grossly immature. And I am I am so sick of old people getting behind such an immature stance. We should be reaching for something better. If white lives are the only thing that mattered, which is debatable, and now your reaction is, well, black lives matter, why the fuck aren't we getting together and reaching for all lives matter? That's not a racist statement, and if some imbecile made it a racist statement, fuck that imbecile. Are we giving this truth (laughs) to him? We could all reach for this together. I mean, it's just across the board. Mm -hmm. It's the same kind of immaturity. It's like teenagers are running the world now. Um. And Teresa, I see you're uh, looking for something there. No, I was going to read from the Dhammapada just real quick. It says, in this world, hostilities are never appeased by hostility, but by the absence of hostility are they appeased. This is an interminable truth. It's like that quote, who said that? Like, uh, hate can't be driven out by hate. 
Only love can do that. Well, Martin Luther King Jr. said that. I think Buddha said something similar as well. Yeah. So getting back to this, we deserve a better future. If you, like Gumby and, and also I were saying, examine what is within. Once you begin to still, still your own mind and really truly see within yourself, changes will begin to happen toward perhaps a happier future. If instead you go on and on and on about denying reality, the reality that, as Gumby said, we all share, you will continue to waste your life being miserable. And if you don't hear anything else that I have said or Gumby has said, hear this. Stop actively making your life miserable. It will be awful. You do have a choice. Yeah, Carlos Castaneda, one of my favorite quotes from him is, uh, you can make yourself miserable or you can make yourself strong. The amount of energy is the same. Yeah. And the final thought, Gumby, uh, you had the other day at the river. You were saying, this is what we're trying to share. We We don't know the way, but we have seen that there is a way to a better way. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I'd completely forgotten about that. <laughs> we were uh, sitting there, you know, smoking our weed, like going down our denialist uh, <laughs> philosophical explorations. And what I realized, you know, I'm thinking about like what Teresa and I are doing out there, you know, washing our asses in a river again, <laughs> sleeping in a van with a stinky old dog, cooking our meals on a campfire. What are we doing? Is this a better way? People challenge us all the time, and rightly so. There's a lot to be challenged there. And I can't say confidently that we are doing something better. But I think what Teresa and I are exploring, and I think this is what we found. We have not necessarily found a better way, but we have found a better way to find a better way. We're not forcing views on anyone. We don't need anything from anybody We're exploring things through simplicity, through what we have around us. I think one thing I can say confidently in my life is I have found a better way to find a better way. Hmm. Yeah, you said it's it's a – damn this clipboard. It's a life experiment through simplicity, through failures and successes. And we're giving our lives to it. Yeah. This could damn sure kill us. It might be killing us right now for all we know. But, uh, yeah, to me, it's worth it. Something's going to kill me. I'd rather uh, this kill me with surrounded by beauty and simplicity than the alternative that I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nihilism just doesn't seem like a very uh, positive, happy way to live. So if you're one of those people that say, I deserve a better future, well, look within. And part of that nihilism and leftist kind of uh, infection that I've, I've been talking about is a, uh, attack on God itself, you know? Oh yeah. And, um, religion and by extension, God, someone on uh, social media this morning was kind of saying, I don't believe in God anymore. And I commented, I think God is an understanding. I think you can interact with this universe without that understanding. You can a- interact with this universe with a misunderstanding of God. But I think 
to be anchored in this world, to be a living human, you need to have some kind of faith in something, some relationship with what could be called God. If you have killed religion in your life, I will bet you have made a religion of something else. I don't know anybody who doesn't do that, whether it's woke ideology, whether it's social justice, whether it's science. You've made a religion, and a lot of these things aren't religions. So you might even be further off track than the religious zealot who is just spouting dogma. So that's what I have to say about that, Jenny. Well, I I hope that was, uh, I don't know, thought-provoking. I mean, I know we're over our half hour, that, uh, but there's some more things I'd like to get into, but yeah. we can wait. Or you, do you have the energy to get into some more stuff? Let's do it. Well, I just got through reading my third, at least, maybe fourth book by Edward Bernays, and this is called uh, The Engineering of Consent. And um, he got some of his minions to write the individual chapters, so it was uh, less written by Bernays himself than other books I've written. You've read? That I, Yeah. Did I say I've written? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't write for Edward Bernays. God damn, he's propagandizing me <laughs> right now. Motherfucker. So um, it was, it's fascinating. It is fascinating to read from the father of modern propaganda. For a hundred years now, we have been influenced by his techniques. Everyone's been influenced by this. He's in your head right now. Edward Bernays has a little address in your brain right now. And it's fascinating because one of the things he bases his uh, techniques on is what Freud found, Sigmund Freud, who was a relative of his. Mm -hmm. And Sigmund Freud, one of the things he discovered is that underneath our rationality, man is a savage emotional creature. He reacts to things emotionally first and then reasons afterwards to, to justify his emotional response, his opinion, his reaction. That's one of the reasons that we still can't come to agreement on just about anything. Mm -hmm. If it was pure rationality, we would come to some agreements. We don't. It's because things are rooted in emotion, and the rationality that follows is kind of garbage. It's really cultivated, fancy garbage. It's like that evil of answering more than just yes or no to a yes or no question. Partly, yeah. I'd say that's related. And Sigmund Freud was so disgusted by this realization. You know, think about the time period he lived in. World wars were breaking out. Nobody had heard of a world war. They didn't know it was possible. And now after the Industrial Revolution, weapons like nobody imagined before. People are just slaughtering each other all over the place, and it looks like there's not going to be any end to it. Sigmund Freud was so disgusted by this, he became a recluse at the end of his life. He just didn't want to have anything to do with people. Bernays took these ideas, cultivated them, and mainly cultivated them for marketing. This was the heyday of capitalism in America, how to sell things to people. And at that time in the 50s, it was the golden age. Capitalism looked great. Everybody had a TV, a fancy new car. There's the first fast food diners. Cute girls are coming out to deliver your food. You got (laughs) drive-in movie theaters. I mean, it's fucking awesome. Everybody was optimistic, like, oh my God, it's going to be the Jetsons, man. I can't wait for the flying cars. (laughs) So, you know, with all this like use of, of Bernays' propaganda, it's interesting to read how nonchalantly he talks about how to control the human mind, how to engineer consent. 
He's got this one chapter in Engineering of Consent. I highly recommend you check it out. It's called, it's about strategy. And he's talking about all the different strategies of propaganda. And it is just, wow. He talks about the strategies Napoleon used. He talks about the strategies Hitler used. But I guess one of the things that I find the most um, remarkable as I'm reading through these books is his overall stance, and this is why he helped the CIA, this is why he helped the government, is he believes people are ripping society apart. And again, the time period, 30s and 40s, we just had a world war. It was the war to end all wars. That's what it was called. A short 20 years later, World War Two, and now we've developed bombs that can blow up entire cities with untold side effects afterwards. People were about to destroy each other. The world was about to rip itself apart because people who think they're rational are acting out their savage, emotional, true selves. Mm. And Bernays was of the opinion that somebody's got, got, got to get in front of this. And one of the things in the strategy section is... It's a lot better to rule from behind. This was something that was done in like Japan, for instance. He brings up an example of Japan around uh, 1000 AD. You know, there was a emperor that like supposedly retired. And then through his, his children and then his grandchildren, he was actually ruling. They were puppets. Hmm. He realized the wisdom of ruling as a secret ruler. Mm. This, oh, wow. There's a precedent for all this. It goes much further back than Bernays. Bernays is just realizing like, oh, this is what this is about. And it got me thinking, man, if people are like he describes, and at least in part, in one way of looking at it, he's right because it works. The marketing works. Everything Bernays did, if, it did, if he was completely wrong, it wouldn't have worked. It works. It's one of the reasons why we're here arguing about the shit we're arguing about, watching the news lie to us day after day, and then watching it tomorrow as if it's going to tell us the truth. That's Bernays, man. And it's fascinating because he's not completely wrong. For the mass majority of the population, people who still are in society and have no intention of trying to escape it, it does. He makes a compelling argument that somebody needs to steer this thing. Otherwise, you savage dogs are about to rip each other apart. Mm. Somebody's got to be behind the scenes, some secret society, and put puppets out there that, oh, you don't like that one? Well, here's another puppet, but it's the same puppet master. The propaganda, he makes a really compelling argument that this is necessary to steer society, and we forget you know, it's easy to say World War One, World War Two, uh, blah blah blah. Uh, you know, Dunkirk. You know, Winston Churchill, and just think like, oh, boring history. The world nearly fucking ripped itself to pieces. Then something changed. That kind of, I'm not saying it's fixed anything. God knows it didn't. We're about to rip it, rip it to pieces again. But it did, at least for the next hundred years, put it under some new measure of control. That was propaganda. Hmm. And that's interesting, the imagery of like steering the ship, because what did I say this morning on our walk? It was about the nihilists. And I was saying, man, it's like we're on a boat and we have no bearing, no point of destination. You know, life is pointless. And we're just spinning that wheel. We're just spinning our wheels and we ain't going nowhere. We're just sitting in the water. Lost. 
Well, I'm interested. I know we talked a little bit about this, but kind of your uh, fresh views. What do you think about Bernays' opinion that people, since they're not actually – and according to Bernays, like you can try to sell things by people really rationally. Like this is a very – you know, and just state the facts. Or you can appeal to their emotion. Like, oh, this we're implying you – yeah, you're going to be really popular and yeah. everything. He said it's been tried. All the politicians that were successful in history when he looked back were demagogues. They appealed to emotion. Mm. Now, what do you, would you say to Bernays' premise that – since we know how the mind works from what Freud discovered, it is someone's responsibility to steer the ship because people are not being rational. They never were rational. They just think they're rational to justify their emotional responses. And it's the responsibility of people, once they've uncovered this truth, to, as he says, engineer consent, manipulate public opinion. What would you say to that? Well, it's terrifying because it it's letting us know in no uncertain terms that what we think are our thoughts and opinions are actually choices that have been carefully selected and curated for us. Um, on the other hand, it was working. So it's kind of like are we those thoughts and opinions and does it matter? Um, because otherwise it's pure chaos. Although I don't know if it's pure chaos. I'm not sure. I would say his point hinges on society existing. If we have a society, especially one the size that we do, mm, that's a good point. he's got a really damn good point. Yeah. If the population decreases and we go back to something more tribal, something pre-10,000 years ago, uh, that would be a really evil person to do what Bernays is doing. I'm oh. I'm getting to an age where I'm kind of like so tired of dismissing people as evil. Like, oh, they're evil. I want to understand. They had a reason. Mm -hmm. And since I know the people that have taught me to consider certain people evil are evil themselves in a way <laughs> – I want to start looking for myself. And so I see that Bernays has a point. And I might be blowing smoke up our ass, you know, like holding <laughs> us to a different standard. But I feel like the point that Bernays make for pe makes for people in society doesn't apply so much to us. If you're a pilgrim, if you're escaping society, then you're discarding that propaganda. You don't need to be controlled. You're exploring something else. You're channeling that, that savage emotionalism in a different way. But if you're in society and people are already like steering your views with every newspaper article, I mean, just imagine the chaos. Well, we're seeing it right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Bernays is like – one of the things he said is we need to coordinate. If there's one fault with propaganda, it's that there's a lack of coordination. I wonder if that broke down or if it ever happened because isn't that like – kind of what it feels like when you're debating somebody now like man you were in a whole different reality but they yeah. feel like they're completely informed yeah it was like a schism at some point that people decided i'm not gonna go with what these uh unseen hidden powers are constructing i'm gonna construct my own truth my own reality yeah, I got to say, Bernays is winning me over a little bit. Oh. Not as a convert, not as a fan. Well, kind of as a fan, because these are some piercing insights and uh, ways to 
use those insights. And he's not altogether wrong. I don't feel like a lot of what he's doing applies to me because I am trying to escape society. But as far as this big fucking bulky warship we call society that's destroying itself, I mean, man, you know, if I had the power and the charisma and the money to like be able to influence it, Mm-hmm. Would it not be my responsibility to do so? And that starts getting us into some weird shit, doesn't it? Think Bill Gates. Yeah. Think Elon it, Musk. It reminds me of um, that feeling that we are human beings, like we say, you know, oh, I'm a human. But are we? And maybe that the level of society kind of dictates the level of humanness we can have again my words are clumsy but you see what I'm saying like if if you have at a tribal level you're living in a smaller group of people you can make informed decisions on your own but if you're getting to be more global like a bigger and bigger number of people then you kind of have to dictate the choices No, I agree. Like there's been studies that show that a number of about 150 is where people can work together effectively. And after that, it starts becoming cumbersome and it almost creates a demand for something like what Bernays ended up providing. Um, But as Bernays points out, propaganda didn't just start with him. It goes back to think of a tribe. You know, two people get up to speak. One wants to go to war with the neighboring tribe. One wants to make peace. Who's the better orator? Is that not a form of propaganda? It's Mm -hmm. not that he has the truth and the person, let's say the guy that wants to go to war, it's not that he has the best truth and the guy that wants peace has not as much truth. Who can speak eloquently? Who can appeal to emotion? Mm -hmm. Who can almost by accident maybe uh, speak to people on that level that gets them active instead of that just purely rational, logical level that people are like, uh, I didn't even hear it. I don't even remember what he said. <laughs> but if you're fucking pissed off, if he's roused you, if it's like, what about your children? Mm-hmm. Now you're like, yeah, I'm going home and like, man, we need to fucking pick up our bows and go to like, go have war. Propaganda is probably as old as language. Mm. Ooh, are, where are you on that? Do you feel like you've covered what you wanted to say? Yeah, I think so. I I was wondering where to go next, and it just kind of popped into my head that we've been watching Alone. Oh, yeah. I was hoping to go next there. Oh, okay. Good. Uh, We just finished watching Season 9, and then we started watching this thing called Alone Frozen, which I guess has been out for a little bit of time. But if you haven't watched it and you don't want spoilers, just um, don't listen to this. Yeah. Can I talk about this next part? Of course. So, as Teresa said, this is a spoiler. If you haven't watched it. Turn it off now. (laughs) Jump ahead, whatever you got to do. We're watching season nine. We've mentioned before on podcasts, we love the show Alone. We learn a lot from it. Now, there's been black people on Alone. There's been Latinos on Alone. Black people, um, I'm thinking of Brit, um, have been the runner-up, almost one before. Mm -hmm. Women have been the runner-up a couple times, maybe more. They've almost won before. It was only a matter of time before... A black per a person of color or a woman, went one. There's been Latino people that did really well. I don't remember if they were the runners up. So we're watching season nine, and what do you know? It finally happens. 
a person of color wins. It's pointed out. He describes it like I'm. I'm happy. You know, his name was Juan Pablo. I'm happy to be the first person of color to win. I am. Uh, you know, it is a big responsibility to be better than everybody else. <laughs> and <laughs> I think it was his. Uh, like kind of shaky <laughs> relationship with English, but he actually did say something like at the, that at the end. I don't think he meant it He's to like, be. If you have the capability to be better than other people, then you should do it. Yeah, I don't. I, like he that. didn't strike me as an arrogant guy, so I don't think he meant it like that. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing that set me off. It wouldn't have been weird to see a person of color or a woman win. It was only a matter of time. They were getting so close. It was going to happen. Yeah. And I was rooting like, wow, what if this is the season a woman wins? You know, I hated seeing like Carly almost make it and not get there. But Or Callie. Then I noticed how odd it was that the runner up behind Juan Pablo, the last person that almost made it that long, was a 57-year-old woman. A woman. The runner-up was going to be a break in the pattern. The next person, part, uh, the third place, was an Asian man. Three people, the three spots. Now, we have a pattern in alone for eight seasons that a white man wins every season. And it's not because of his skin color. Yeah. There's a lot of factors when you're out in the wilderness and out in nature the the trees the the birds the plants and animals aren't going oh we'll expose ourselves because that's a white guy no it's not like he's smarter or tougher <laughs> or anything like that i've been to a wilderness survival classes for years and let me tell you white people represent the bulk of the people that attend these classes i think it's got more to do with interest yeah just simply um white privilege actually <laughs> and so i'm noticing this and i'm like teresa do you know what the odds are that after 8 seasons of a white man winning for season nine, a white man didn't even place in the last three spots. By the time we're watching the last three people, it was guaranteed it would not be a white man. Don't you find that a little weird? I mean, as somebody that with a tracking background, let me tell you, you notice patterns. You're trained to look for patterns. A dog does a certain kind of gait called a diagonal walk. If a dog breaks the diagonal walk and speeds up into what might be called a gallop, that's an indication of something. It means something. Something happened. Mm -hmm. You don't know what yet, and it's important not to jump to conclusions. But it is an indication to look more closely. Something happened. That's what I was noticing. And then we start watching this kind of uh, branch off the Alone series called Alone Frozen. And they bring back people from previous seasons. Yeah. And the people were three women, one Latino man, and two white men. Now, this is around the same time as season nine, and I'm already kind of, like, suspicious of what I just saw (laughs) in season nine. Like, that was kind of weird. I don't know. Something feels kind of weird about that. Now, we're watching this. This is six people instead of ten people starting, and they have to try to last 50 days. We haven't finished this uh, um, series yet, this season or whatever. Um But right away, within the first week, both white men drop out. So it's guaranteed that, again, a white man is not going to win. Now, we've watched far enough to see the Latino guy. I can't remember his name. Amos. Amos. He has apparently left. Now it's guaranteed it's going to be a woman. So no matter what happens, 
Uh, well, it's not guaranteed she's going to make it to 50 days, but it is guaranteed a woman is going to be the longest lasting mm-hmm. one in the show. True, because if they don't make it to 50 days, they don't win. So now, what do you know? After eight seasons of white men winning, we're going to have season nine won by a person of color and this branch that's happening at the same time won by a woman. It's like all the bases are just conveniently, neatly covered. And I'm, I'm looking at Teresa, and they're, the editors are showing us things that the women are saying. I've heard people go on to deep philosophical tangents out there about technology, society, family, all kinds of stuff. For the first time ever, I'm watching women talk about social justice issues. I'm watching women talk about gender and diversity. Never seen... And equity. And equity. Never seen that in the show that people are like going off on this thing while they're out there starving in the woods. There's all kinds of things that I don't know what's going on, but I am positive something has changed. This is not the alone show that I've been watching. Something has changed behind the scenes. Of that, I am certain. Now, Teresa was kind of being a, a good devil's advocate. She wasn't as convinced as I was. So we were kind of like, you know, bouncing ideas back and forth. I'm like, Teresa, I don't know what's going on. I'm not trying to say this. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying something has happened. This is a huge break in the pattern. A woman winning wouldn't have been a big break in the pattern. She almost won many times. Person of color, not a big break in the pattern. The last three people standing are not white men. And then this other show, the two white men leave first. That is too much of a break in the pattern to just be like, oh, that's normal. That was bound to happen. (laughs) And what Teresa caught, and this is where I'll hand the story over to you, Teresa. Well, let me hand it over now. Well, one of the women, her name is Callie, um, I don't know her. I just, I really liked her on, I think she was on season seven, maybe. Um, I just really liked her optimism and just the way that she was really skilled. Didn't even matter that she was a woman, but I just was super impressed by her skill level. Like I can talk, I mean, I don't, I don't have any skills. So she mentioned, which I could see, uh, isolated, like, okay, Callie's giving a shout out to all the survivalists that are women. All right. Alone. Um, I mean, just standing by itself. That's, that's not that unusual. I could see from previous recordings of what, you know, how Callie speaks, she might've just been like giving props to her sisters, you know? But then another woman, I can't remember if it was Wania or Michelle, um, And at this time, there are only women left. So it kind of was like, huh, it's weird that she doesn't know that. Callie doesn't know that there's only women left. And she's given like a shout out to all the ladies. But okay, that might just be, you know, Callie. So then another woman says something about like, uh, oh, by now, you know, I hope that such and such woman has gotten like a lot of uh, fish. And I hope the, you know, another contestant like... Uh, you know, I hope that they've gotten, they've been able to collect a lot of food, forage, and like find, you know, mussels and clams and stuff like that. But Mark, who's a white guy, you know, he's already left the show. He probably got a bear. I was like, wow, that's kind of strange that you would just assume that like this one contestant probably got a bear. I mean, again, maybe it's just something that you're prattling off. Maybe you're a little bit upset that you're not getting a bear or some other big game animal. But then the third woman, must have been Wania that said that, the third woman, Michelle, starts going off on all this stuff about, like, gender, and it's it's about time that a woman... It was Michelle. Yeah, uh, you know, 
it's it's definitely time for women to win this contest. And I forget how she said it, but it really, I'm like, wait a second. This is rubbing me all the wrong way. <laughs> Teresa looked at me with her mouth open like, you were right. Did you? Huh? Of course you are. You're a white man. Um, <laughs> in season one, it was all white men of this show. All right. Shit happens like that. Season two, Desmond. Unfortunately, Desmond was uh, not in the contest for very long. Desmond, Desmond thought about a bear the first night and pushed the red button. Uh, he didn't even of, see one. It was kind of a bad showing. But thereafter, and also in season two, there was a woman named Tracy, I believe. And there, uh, may, oh, yeah. And I think Nicole Apellian was also on season two. I could be wrong about that. And then in every season thereafter, as Gumby has mentioned, there's been runners-up that are women. It's not that they were keeping women out. Maybe for that first season, they just didn't have any people that, you know, interviewed that they felt were good for the competition. Yeah, I mean, think about the people you know. I can think of the people I know, and I know a whole lot more men, white men in particular, that would uh, find interest or even any appeal in something like that. Most of the black people I know would be like, oh, I ain't going out there. What the fuck's wrong with you people? Right. Like, what, no shower? You're just going to stink. <laughs> and women, you know, women will be more scared. I mean, it's they're smaller, you know. It's just, it's not racism or sexism. It's just fucking reality. Yeah. And it doesn't have to, it's not a trap for anybody. Anybody can rise above it as people were coming close and eventually would every season. Yeah. You're not trapped by gender, but there is like certain or things. Or sex. There are certain things that... uh Different people are going to be better at, generally. That doesn't mean you have to follow that that template. Yeah. And and what does this all mean? Does it mean, like, pulling back just for a moment? Does it mean that I'm going to stop watching alone? I thought you were going to get into uh, that name. That's the thing I was hoping you'd bring up. This uh, is the thing Teresa noticed. In the credits, there's a certain name that was popping up, and she right away said, I bet this name has something to do with it. <laughs> well... See, um, in the credits, Nicole Apellian's name comes up. And I can't quite, I didn't see what she was. I'm assuming she's some sort of consultant for the show because she has a PhD in like biology and anthropology and stuff like that. And she's studied herbalism. She has a book out. You know, she's she's very um, up and coming, you know. So Did you mention she was on the show? And she was on the show twice. She was on the show, I believe, in season two or three, I can't remember. And then she, then they had her come back in season five. You may remember her as the woman that had MS. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, I just happened to look right before we started recording on Google, like Google Nicole Apellian. And there's this article that's from Jezebel.com. Um, I'm sure a reputable source, but Nicole was talking, and this was from 2020. So this is well before any of the shows that we're talking about, like Alone Frozen, have even been thought of. But Nicole's article was talking about how gender has a huge effect when you're out in the wilderness. Mm, she was more worried, she said, not about the bears and wolves and cougars, not about, the, not about that, but about humans, and specifically men. And I'm like... What the Not that fuck? any men bothered her out there or anything. Yeah, it was like Desmond with the bear. She thought about men and got scared. Yeah. 
And that's not why, I mean, I, who knows, maybe that is why she left. I, the second time she was on the show, she left, I thought because of her MS. Um, and I'm sure it is scary when you're out there, whether it's, you're a man or a woman, male or female. Um, and by the way, it's sex, not gender, but okay. Um, and that's one of those realities that's like, it's not that people are stacking it against you. If you're a woman, you are, do tend to be smaller, weaker than a man if a man wants to attack you and have the added thing that a man might want from you is rape. A man will typically not go in the woods and try to sodomize another man deliverance style. Mm. It's just rarer. That's not something that culture did. That's nature. It's just for all the strengths women have, that's a, an added vulnerability. Yeah. It's biology. It doesn't mean like, oh, oh, I guess you're saying it's okay for men to rape. No, you fucking dickwad. <laughs> oh, it happens. You know, like you can teach all the guys all over the place that rape is bad. And I feel like guys do get taught that there's going to be the fucking psychopaths, perverts, people that will not learn the lesson. Just as there's women that you can teach to, uh, you know, take responsibility for yourself. Don't go fucking trying to sell yourself at a truck stop. There's still going to be women that get into trouble. There's going to be people that fucking have to learn the hard way. I got to learn the hard way in a lot of ways. That's life. And as far as I know, no no one in the history of Alone has been raped while the show has been taped. You know what I mean? Like, it might have happened before, it might have happened after, but it wasn't happening while they were out there by themselves, alone, in the wilderness. So I'm not even sure, like why that had to be brought up, but it started, like, things started to make more sense when I was like, oh, and she's still a part of the show, and if she is a consultant, hmm, interesting that this is the, uh, the direction that they're taking. And by the way, I would love to see a woman win, but not if it's, and I'm not saying it is, but not if it's constructed to be that way. So that's, I'm going to, I'm going to stop right there because I don't want to, um, make assumptions or talk about things that I don't know about. Yeah. That's, that's where I stopped is I notice a huge break in the pattern and that indicates something. And that's all I can say. I suspect, you know, and I don't know what actually like is going on here, but, uh, that the show alone is just the next domino in this, like they've caved, you know, they're woke. They're or the getting history woke. channel anyway. Yeah. I mean, they just succumb to whatever like this weird arbitrary idea of equity is instead of equality. Um, and I guess, you know, we've resigned ourselves that this is going to be a long episode. We're going really long. So I'll kind of wind it up without getting into another topic. But two things I want to revisit, I want to visit before we end this is one, the party you mentioned earlier that you went to. Oh, yeah. With your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, Teresa hadn't seen these people in a long time. It was a Indian holiday. What Diwali. was it? Diwali? Diwali. Diwali. You can say Diwali. And, um, you know, really nice people. Um, it's a friend that Teresa used to dance with and her boyfriend. Um, both the, the friend is from Sri Lanka, boyfriend's from India. Mm-hmm. And so they're hosting it, cooking great food and everything. And it was a good time. I, I actually don't like socializing. So I just went and like gave uh, her friend a, a belt I'd crocheted, said, you know, it's good to see you, and went back and hung out in the van and read. 
That's a good evening to me. When you live in a van with somebody else, a couple hours of solitude can be a really fun (laughs) evening. But anyway, one thing that I thought was interesting before we leave that party um, is at one point, as Teresa's telling me the things that they were talking about at the party, as people do, um, is this friend who's from Sri Lanka said something about old white men. What was it she said? Well, I like the the other attendees at the party were not Indian. Um, we were invited to the celebration, and we were um, mostly white women. Um, and there was an older Sri Lankan couple, and there was also a black woman. And um, so the people they they kind of all worked or had worked together, and they were kind of bitching about stuff. And I I said something to the effect of, it just seems like um, people that have these bad intentions nowadays, it's like they're getting emboldened to be even worse. And, uh, the comment was something like, I blame old white men. This is a comment from somebody that was living here illegally for a number of years and is not in her country of origin. And one of the problems I have with somebody from another country that says something like that is if the tyranny of old white men who did evil things um, created this country, then aren't you coming over here to share in the spoils following <laughs> these evil acts? If it's systemically racist and old white men are the problem, why yeah, you're did like, you decide to stay? Yeah, so you're like, they're evil. And then you follow that with, me too, I want some. And I asked Teresa, well, what'd you say? I said, Teresa, you do realize that I am an old white man. Getting older. Yeah. So, like, if it was a anti-Semite that had said something like, your boyfriend was Jewish and said something about, yeah, it's the fucking Jews taking over, I would hope you'd say something on behalf of Jewish people. And I didn't. And Teresa's like, yeah, I didn't really say anything. I didn't laugh, though. And I know this friend of Teresa's. I'm not trying to throw her under the bus. She is a... I, you know, strikes me as a very good person, definitely an intelligent person. I think this was clumsy speech. Mm-hmm. I think she's used to being in a social group where that's what you say. But words have power. When we enforce this old white men kind of language without it ever being challenged, it just becomes language. And maybe this friend knows, like I said, what do you think if I was there? What if I'd said, I'm an old white man? And Teresa said, well, she'd probably say, no, not like you. Right. Yeah, that was the, the little caveat. Oh, not she you. might distinguish between me and people that she m- might be justified or maybe not in describing in that way. But if she uses that language carelessly around other people, is it a guarantee that everybody's going to understand that? Or does that just a little bit put another drop in a racist bucket? So... To me, Teresa's I Ching reading that she said, it was called Telling It True. Tao Te Ching. Tao Te Ching. Telling It True. That's part of our responsibility to start calling people out. We don't have to pick a fight. We can just say, if Teresa would have simply said, you know, Gumby's in in kind of getting to be an old white man. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and if uh, her friend had said, well, I don't mean him. Like, well, what do you mean? Can we say that? Yeah. Just as gently as possible, calling people out and trying to at least gently steer the language to something different. Because every time we let shit like this happen and be said unchallenged, it gets a little bit stronger. (coughs) And I think that's another reason why we're here in this 
chaotic environment we are now is things that should have been challenged were allowed to build momentum, momentum, and momentum. And now we're all looking around like, how the fuck did this happen? This is crazy. Yeah. We got to stop this. This is not like the evils of old white men. And if it is, what the hell are you doing trying to like share in the spoils of old white men that were doing evil things? And I got to say, probably most, more than likely in the past, I shared in saying things like that. Yeah, we talked about that last episode. I did too. I talked about white culture. Yeah, and um, and furthermore, just just for your interest, if you're interested, uh, you know the white women that were there and the black woman that was there, and I think the old Sri Lankan couple had already left. Um, nobody had anything to say. Nobody said here, here. <laughs> nobody agreed. It was just kind of left hanging in the air, kind of awkwardly, like a fart, like a stinky fart. Um, but yeah, I, I want to get better at not necessarily being argumentative, contentious, but being more wise. Yeah. And this, I think is something that, um, I actually took a picture. He didn't know this. I took a picture of that verse that we read, the 81 one, and I, I sent it to my friend and I was thinking this could be something that is like a jumping off point for a discussion. Maybe it wasn't the right time at that party. Maybe Only it was. if you turn it into that. Yeah. It's way too loose if you're just like, oh, maybe they'll bring it. They aren't. you got to like yes. make it a jumping point. You've got to start the discussion. Yeah. That's another thing I think it really goes with telling it true is taking responsibility. I think we leave too many things to chance. Like, well, if somebody else brings it up, and then more often than not, even if they do bring it up, which they usually don't, we're like, oh, that wasn't the right time. Yeah, I was just saying it wasn't the right time. Yeah. And the only other thing I want to bring up before we leave all these topics without bringing up a new topic is just a little bit on Juan Pablo's strategy. It was interesting (laughs) how he won. Um, Aside from whatever's going on behind the scenes that might have affected things, He's the first person that didn't maintain a fire. He didn't keep a fire going. For like 62 days in the fucking frozen landscape of, uh, was it Labrador or something? Yeah. And he didn't build a big fancy shelter in this like frozen landscape. It was just as simple as it could be. He only used a fire when he needed one. And for the last 20 days, he intentionally fasted. He wasn't just starving to death and like not getting food. He decided not to eat. And when they finally showed up and he won, he was energetic. He still had more in him. He was like, yeah, I can keep going. And you could see by the way he was moving and talking, he wasn't just trying to fake it. He had energy. And I feel like there's something about Juan Pablo's strategy that I hope survivalists are looking at and like, wow, what happened here? Um, You got Roland, who's got the record right now and alone. He made it 100 days, and he busted his ass. He hunted. He got a muskox with a knife. He built a log cabin he called the Rock House. A rock cabin. Rock cabin, yeah. It was a completely different strategy. So what the hell did Juan Pablo stumble onto? Um, I feel like he played to win the game and understood it was a game. I don't think that strategy would have got him through the winter. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have. But it's really interesting that he still had that energy while people were dropping trying to get food. I wonder if, like, there's something to be learned about intention. Mm-hmm. Like Juan Pablo, the hunter, the person trying to get food, is failing. I wonder if that's energetically taking something out of them, whereas Juan Pablo decided, I'm going to fast, and he succeeded in fasting. Mm-hmm. And that put him in a whole different reality. You know, here we go, different realities. But... uh 
there is something to that. There's both things going on. There are different realities in a shared reality. And that reality, that mindset, it's more than just a mindset because he still had energy. It wasn't just the way he was thinking. It affected more than his thoughts. So that was a pretty neat thing to to watch and consider is this whole completely different strategy that's never been tried on a loan before that led to Juan Pablo winning. Because even if it was rigged um, to kind of tip the scales in his favor, I do believe he made it 70-something days with that strategy. Mm -hmm. And it was completely unique, and it was uh, just simplicity itself. Everybody else is busting ass doing their bushcraft skills, and Juan Pablo is like, eh, you know. It's inspiring me to uh, to try and, like, hydrate more and eat less. Yeah, and it's a reminder to me of, like, okay, it's as long as it's fun, it's great to work on these skills that I'm working on, but don't forget that the reality is actually not busting your ass. It's uh, the art of doing nothing, as Tom L. Pell says. It's mm. simplicity. It's how little can you get away with. There's a balance for that, too. Not just running yourself ragged with all the things you can do, but it's got something to do with how you can be. And uh, yeah, Juan Pablo, he seemed like such a good guy. He accidentally uh, shot a white weasel in one of the episodes. Not and, the uh, weasel. Yeah. <laughs> and we've been like uh, kind of mocking him because it was so funny the way he said like, oh, poor weasel. Poor weasel. Poor weasel. But yeah, seemed like a really good guy. I'm glad he won. Mm-hmm. I just... Don't know what the fuck's going on with the show. <laughs> so are we uh, are we done? Is there anything else you want to throw in there before we cut to break? I think there is one more thing that I would like to talk about today. Oh, I think that's uh, too much. You think so? No. <laughs> we fucking already went over an hour. Go for it. Um, and by the way, if you think this episode's too long, pause it. Turn it into three episodes for your listening pleasure. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh... I would like to close with our last, most recent visit to the Subway Sandwich Shop. Oh, man, you're going there. (laughs) Because, you know, we're talking about reality. We're talking about reflecting inward. And um, we had mentioned in what? an episode or two ago that we had gone to the subway. It's it, it's on the way home for us. So it's often in like the last option if we want to get something easy like if we've had a really long day, we get a sub sandwich. But the turnover has been really noticed at this subway because the last time we had two employees that were just like if they weren't there, I think we would have had a better sandwich. Possibly prepubescent. And this time One of those two people was uh, there, (laughs) but really not there. So I I said to Gumby, "Um, if those two workers are there, do you want to leave? And then we walked in and we're like, oh, shit, one of them is, is here. And so I was like, all right. I tried not to be patronizing. I said... Hey, hon, how are you doing today? And I said, do you have all the breads available? Because last time they didn't. No, no, no. You always skip the, the <laughs> you're, you're skipping this story. When we first walked in, we're like, hey. And this girl doesn't say anything. No <laughs> response. And so then we kind of have to push it like, hey. <laughs> oh, but- like, we're not going to let you off the hook. Like, there's actually a person here talking to you. <laughs> Yeah. So that was like before what Teresa's about to get into. Go for yeah. it. 
so um, this this young lady, young lady, um, she's not really talking. She's not talking at all. She's not very talkative at all, like a single word. And so I, you know, asked her what type of bread. She's like kind of nodded that they have all the bread. And um, I think, Gumby, you started to order. And she just walked away. She walked to the back. Without a word. Walked out the door from where the employees only are. And she went into the bathroom without a word. And the manager was there and she came out and she was like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what's wrong with her today. She's been in and out of the bathroom. Um, what can I get you? And this lady was, I mean, she was adequate. She made our sandwiches. She was kind of uh, not, she didn't have much time for Gumby to tell what he wanted on the sandwich. She just kind of like made it and started wrapping it up. But um, we got our sandwiches. But after, you know, after some time, uh, we went back into the store. I was throwing out our garbage and this same young girl, she had gotten out of the bathroom and gave me this look like, uh, I had like tried to get with her boyfriend or something. I don't know. I have no, I don't know this person. I don't feel like I've ever been mean to her. The last time we were there, she didn't really, act you like- came in. And expected her to make a sandwich for you. How dare I? Yeah. Being a what white kind woman. of class bullshit is that? Yeah. But she works there. So that was just a... Yeah, that makes it a little that complicated. Was confusing because I thought she was there to make a sandwich. And for the record, I don't make a habit of walking up to women or people of color on the street and expecting them to make me sandwiches. So <laughs> hence the confusion. <laughs> so um, I just... I, I looked at her and I said, I hope you have a really blessed day, okay? And she fixed her giant glasses on her face and just kind of like a little bit nodded, okay. And I left. And I told this to Gumby when we got back in the van and I was like, do you think that she might be a little something like maybe autistic or something see i remember you talking to the manager because that girl flashed you some shade oh yeah i told the manager i said she's given me two dirty looks since i've been here and i haven't done anything to her Teresa, you're already whitewashing the story see this is the white evil they're talking about so when yeah i'm starting to wonder like this girl is actually uh getting some of my less of my ire than before because i'm starting to think she's got something wrong with her like she's autistic or you know like uh, you know, a lot of people can say, what? There's nothing wrong. I don't mean wrong, like whatever, but something else going on. It's not, not just a rude kid because this is like kind of getting a little like, man, like. If, if you're doing this with the public, I'm kind of afraid for her because we're not doing anything to this young woman. And she's looking like she's trying to pick a fight with her facial expressions and the lack of communication. It's just really, really bad. And yeah, I, I asked Gumby if he thought that she might be uh, like socially, there's there's maybe something a little off with her because uh, I don't think even, a, as you said, a surly teenager 
would act like that. And the manager didn't. She was at a loss, too. She's just like, I don't know what's going on with her. And she went and, like, banged on the bathroom door even, like, while she was making our sandwiches. Like, hey, get out here. But, yeah, there's there's definitely something going on with our youth. And uh, it's really unfortunate because all these jobs where you're facing the public, I don't think they can handle. I just don't think they have the capacity to handle social interactions. It's getting so bad. And this is one of those things kind of like watching alone where it just feels so orchestrated that I'm like, huh, what are the odds that this would just be happening all dovetailed in with everything else? Customer service is getting so fucking unpleasant that people (laughs) are going to be begging for Amazon deliveries and drones to Uh bring their Subway sandwiches. Yeah. I mean, even me who don't who doesn't do that at all, the the deliveries, the drones, whatever, I have no interest in it. I got to say, the customer service is getting, like, deplorable, just <laughs> utterly unpleasant. And we weren't the only customers that experienced this. There was a black woman that looked like she had maybe ordered her sub ahead of time, and she came out of there and was just like, this is effing ridiculous. I'm not, I can't with this shit. Yeah, she said, I can't even. I can't even with this shit. And just got in the car and the person was driving, just drove away. And then there was another like family, like a bigger family in there that it took them a long time to get their order. And uh, I asked them when they came out, I was like, so did you, you finally got your sandwiches? How was that? And they were like, that little girl in there didn't even say a word to us. Very unpleasant. Like, who wants to go in a store where there's someone that's acting like you did them wrong and all you're doing is you're a customer ordering a sandwich? And again, you know, like when I was growing up, like it was all ADHD. Oh, oh, the kids have ADHD or ADD. Now it's all the kids are like autistic. I wonder if it is that or if it's um, something that we don't want to talk about. Like Offspring said, the kids aren't all right. And that was a couple generations back. And they've been raising kids who raise kids. So. So, is that what you wanted to say about that? Yeah, shit's well, fucked up. Yeah, I guess we're going to uh, probably within. head to the lake now. And uh, one thing I wanted to share is we're heading to the lake, a routine of our winter van life that uh, we haven't shared before. We get a lot of flies that are attracted to the van out here. (laughs) And uh, they say you can attract more flies with honey than shit. So I'd like to think it's the former that's uh, bringing in the flies. Because we got a lot of flies rather than the latter. Hmm. But uh, in the morning, they all like kind of touch down and find their little landing spots on the ceiling. So luckily it's dark. We don't have to stare at them. But there's all these flies that just kind of stay there on the ceiling overnight. And in the morning... It's like the Amityville horror yeah, it, it is. It's Amityville Horror in there. And in the morning, they're all, like, lethargic. So Teresa gets her pee jar. <laughs> My Jif peanut butter jar. Which is a, a plastic Jif peanut butter jar that doesn't have pee in it so far. It's going to be really gross when you got to pee in it some night and then you use it for this. Ew. Yeah. But then she scoops the flies off and they just kind of fall in the jar and she puts the cap on. She's got, like, what, 20 flies in there sometimes. And then she takes them on this really nice walk when we go down to the lake. <laughs> It's like, it's, it's really like compassionate. Taking my flies for a walk. Yeah. She takes them on this really nice little field trip and she goes down to the lake and uh, gets a little bit of water in the jar and swishes it around and then kind of tosses it where they're on the lake. So they get to swim around. They're like backstroking and floating. <laughs> Getting and, stronger. 
Yeah, and I'm sure they dry off and get their wings like dry and then fly right back to the van. I think it's the same flies. So. And on the way, they recruit all their friends. Yeah. So just know that when we go to the lake, we're also uh, toting all these flies for a really cool field trip. So Yay. that's a little bit of good we're, uh, we're doing in the world. That's what we try to do. And I guess if you're ready, if you want to take us out uh, for our break. Oh, we're going to break. Here we go. It's almost election season, and the Democratic Party wants you to vote blue. Yes, it's more important than ever as Democrats tirelessly battle against institutional racism. We finally hope to challenge the tyranny of old white men with our candidate, Uncle Joe Biden. He's older and whiter than anybody. Fight fire with fire, eh? But wasn't Joseph Stalin's nickname Uncle Joe? Not according to our fact-checkers. And disagreement is fascism. Many of you may be unaware of the proud history of the Democratic Party, beginning with its founder, President Thomas Jefferson. Democrats have always adored oppressed colored people. I believe that's people of color. Not according to our fact-checkers. Thomas Jefferson, for instance, loved black people so much that he had a collection of them numbering in the hundreds. It was Jefferson's and the Democratic Party's love of the First Nations people that caused them to support the Indian Removal Act and to preserve our red children on reservations, or, as we like to call them, Native American resort communities. We understand that even when other groups and races don't always know what's best for themselves, we do. Now, sometimes you'll hear people criticize the Democratic Party for opposing the emancipation of enslaved colored people of color. Well, I'm here to tell you that it was their love and deep connection to their sun-kissed sisters and brothers that caused them to hold on so tightly, so lovingly, for so long. But weren't a few Democratic presidents members of the KKK? Hey, we've all been guilty of questionable behavior, even a rape or three. But identity shaming isn't our policy. We hate hate. And saying otherwise is hate speech, which we hate. But we shame and accuse people of rape all the time. Not according to our fact-checkers. When we do it, it is called speaking truth to power. To say any different is victim-blaming. Today, we, the Democratic Party, from the security of our inclusive gated communities, continue to celebrate our long association with oppressed peoples. Unless they're white. Those white devils can burn in the Christian hell of which I am far too educated and progressive to believe in. I can confidently say that all white people are evil, and all black people are noble and 100% right about everything. For here at the Democratic Party, we train ourselves daily to judge people not by the content of their individual character, but by the much more visible and reliable color of their skin. This is how you fight racism. But what about Mark Robinson or Clarence Thomas? They're white. Holding any other view is a microaggression. But... It is urgent that we stop the conservative extremists from keeping our colored children from exercising their science-given right to vote. Look, we all know that those people are incapable of figuring out how to acquire a free ID in this evil racist society. Why, I've even seen neighborhoods where good, young, colored men are apparently even denied the basic human right to purchase a belt. Is it really so silly to see a less intelligent, inferior race, weak, helpless, struggling, without their great white gender nonspecific parents, and to yearn to reach out my trembling hand to help? Um, everything you just said was kind of racist. Not according to our fact-checkers. Black lives matter, which is why so many of our liberally supported policies strive to keep so many people of color safe and snug within the protective walls of our penitentiaries and institutions. 
Expressing other opinions is a form of gaslighting. If we were crazy, I assure you, we'd be more than happy to let everyone know it. We support diversity and inclusion. Unless you're not one of us. Then we hope you die. We support my body, my choice. As long as you make the right, approved of choice. Bodies making wrong choices will be publicly shamed, canceled, prevented from basic human rights, and confiscated by the state for reindoctrination. And the Republicans and insurrectionists will stop at nothing to ruin our good name. They've even accused us of hating babies, which is ridiculous, hateful. And in actual point of fact, a form of literal physical violence. We love fucking babies. I mean, we fucking love babies, even gross unborn ones. Here at the Democratic Party, why, just this morning, I used a precious little fetus to wax my electric car, and I gotta tell you, you've never seen such a brilliant shine on a Prius. Hmm. We use fetuses to keep our skin looking young. We eat fetuses with hummus, inject them for medicine. Hell, I've even been known to freebase a fetus or two. No one loves babies like we do here at the Democratic Party. I believe we also champion women's rights, but that's currently pending. A team of our own specially selected biologists is working around the clock in our labs in an effort to unravel that age-old riddle and to finally determine what a woman actually is. I'm pretty sure we'll be for them unless it offends someone. We'll keep you updated. We often champion causes that no one believes in. That whole Latinx thing, for example. We believe in following the science. Our science. Any other science or scientists are dark-age, backwards, deplorable plague rats, like those anthropologists, psychologists, and the rogue free-thinking biologists, who have always been right-wing conspiracy theorists. They hurt and offend science, and it is only through our unquestioning faith in science that we can ever hope to be downloaded into heaven. The Democratic Party has always been the party of unconditional love. Rainbows. All love is good love. We believe in love deeply, down to the core of where our souls would be. If your heart inspires you to pursue intimate relations with a child, a puppy, a child who identifies as a puppy, or an old man caked with makeup, perfume, who simply enjoys the feeling of a tiny, chubby, sticky hand down his pants, we will defend your goddess-given right to express that love. Hmm. Love trumps hate. We identify as being right about this. And we will continue to wage our heroic war against eco-villainy. Look, sure, we could just change ourselves. We could give up unnecessary luxuries that harm the environment. But we hold the deep conviction that addressing the faults in others will make us feel much better about ourselves. And let's face it, taking responsibility for ourselves is white privilege, and we are firmly anti-racist. So please, if you like the idea of imposing your will on others without their consent, under the threat of violence... Get out to the polls. The tyranny of the majority can only work for you if you vote and win or appear to win. It's only fair. Donate now to keep spreading this message. More government always makes everything better for everybody. After all, we'll get your money in taxes anyway. But trust us, it goes down better if it feels voluntary. Together, we can upright this upside-down, inverted, topsy-turvy world and put it right-side-up down on its head again. This ad is approved of by wholesome butter-based white people. In these busy times we live in, it can be difficult to know which sign is the right for you to proudly display on your lawn. Black Lives Matter. Thank you, Jesus. I could shit a better president. For sale. No trespassing. Smile your own No camera. human is illegal. Trump 2024. In this house, we believe in science. Pride. All love is good love. Ah! With everything else going on, how can I juggle signaling my virtue to all my pretentious friends and neighbors without risking offending all of my other pretentious friends and neighbors or incurring the wrath of the lower classes? We hear you. 
We know what you really want to say, and we want to get you ready for the revolution. Now introducing the Please Don't Hurt Us yard sign, tastefully handwritten by actual housing-impaired persons in bold, permanent marker, displayed on rich, earth-toned cardboard, so your community knows you care, but are not threatened that you may care more than them. The cardboard is biodegradable, compostable, and communicates a modest lifestyle to dissuade thieves. For a small additional fee, we will add on the bottom of the sign, We are good people, so everyone will know. It's right there on the sign. All of your money will go directly towards helping the homeless, and we will write this on the back of each and every sign, ensuring your authenticated status as a virtuous person. Act now, and we'll add an additional sign, free of charge for the post-apocalypse, which reads in desperate, scrawling font in bright red letters, We have no food. You'll be the envy of all your neighbors when your house is the only one left intact by the roving bands of starving raiders. También disponible en español para asaltantes latinos hambrientos. Don't wait. Virtue signal now. And we're back. I don't know how it was for you, listeners, but it's been a couple days for us. Like three days, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's do the time warp again. Yeah. Oh, but we did just come back from the lake. And uh, I feel much, much better for it. My bug bites are a little less itchy right now. So, Gumby, what have you been working on in the past couple days since we recorded the uh, first part of our podcast? Well, I am trying to build a chimney, y'all. So, we got this dog tent. I think I've probably brought this up in a former podcast, but we've learned, like, during the winter in our winter camp, it's really handy to have what I call a dog tent, because it reminds me of those Civil War tents that were sometimes called dog tents. Um, Just basically, if you ever watch Alone, a lot of people build their shelters starting with this. Basically, it's two tripods with a ridgepole connecting them, and then you build the shelter off of that, so the whole thing's kind of A-frame, sort of cabin-style. Um, but I just cover it with tarps. You know, we need something simple I can put up, last about half a year, and I can take down. And uh, I had a lot of uh, materials and saplings that had survived the summer that I was happy about. So I slapped it together, covered it with tarps, and then I got to thinking, man, one thing that would be better about the dog tent, because it sheds rain, it breaks wind, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> oh, goddamn. And... <laughs> But it could be warmer, you know. There are cold days that a source of heat in there would be awesome. So I'm like, man, maybe I should just go for it. I'm kind of daunted about building a chimney because there's so many things you got to gather. Heavy rocks. I mean, I built a wall on one side because you got to think about what the chimney's up against, you know. Is it supported? So I, I went ahead and did, like, a bunch of uh, tiny logs for, like, a kind of making a log cabin on one triangle of it. Did you cut those from existing trees from... Like last winter? Almost all of it except for one sapling before I saw other dead branches. And I'm like, I didn't have to kill that sycamore sapling. Mm. One of the things that I'm thinking as I'm building this chimney, and by the way, I haven't started the chimney part yet. I just got done with the wall yesterday. But I'm excited. I'm daunted but excited because if this works out and I'm going to keep at it until it does, hopefully, um, we're going to have a fireplace. That's going to be like hobo-licious. Mm. And the rest of it's going to be covered with old tarps I've scavenged. But things like a shelter, you know, if you don't have tarps and stuff, you uh, often, depending on the shelter that you build, you got to cut down a lot of trees. And that's one of the reasons why I'm daunted by this skill in particular is it feels like such a big impact on the land. 
And um, I'm wary about that, you know? It's like, <sighs> I'm cutting down all these saplings and it might not work out. I might not know what I'm doing. I might have killed those trees for nothing. Um, even though I'm trying to pick out trees that hopefully will help the forest, you know, trees that are crowding each other. And we got a lot of areas like that around here. Um, trees at war with each other for sunlight and resources. But still, I hate taking life. Um, it feels like a pretty serious thing for me. And even when you remove rocks, there's things living under the rocks that might die because that shelter has just been taken right before it gets cold. Yeah. So right now I'm kind of like dealing with the reality that there are certain skills that that's just the nature of them. They are bigger impact skills than other skills. For instance, I'm going to be forage persimmons. Not a big impact. Plenty of persimmons. We throw the seeds. We might even be like helping the persimmons. But uh, sometimes like, you know, hunting and trapping, um, building a shelter, things like that, it's a bigger impact. And that's just the nature of it. You're taking more. And so... You know, I don't know. However, you got to square that away. However, you got to make peace with that. Hopefully, you're not just shutting it out and ignoring it because that's a fact. And uh, we were talking about alone in the first half of this episode. And um, one more thought related to that I wanted to add about right. alone. Is there anything spoilers that we need to? Nope. Okay. Nope. No spoilers. So um, they build these really awesome, beautiful shelters, but some of them, even more than others, but all of them. Like I said, those shelters, they're cutting down trees. It's a big impact on the land. So often they will share this really good-sounding ethic about how they hate taking life. Um, you know, and a kind of a, their, their type of reverence for the land. Sometimes I'm bothered a little bit by how big these shelters are that they only stay in for like... Sometimes a day or so. Yeah. I've seen shelters get like just as soon as they get built, the person hits the button. So... You know, it's kind of like, I don't know, on the one hand, I really like what they say, and I believe they believe it in their own, on their own, whatever those words in mean to them. In their own reality. Yeah. <laughs> their own truth. In their own social construct. Yeah. They but, identify uh, as being right about that. They identify as being right about that. And, you know, I just, I don't know, that kind of bothers me, even though I see what they're doing, because it's such a big impact, and it's like, they're just leaving. And also, you know, that goes with the uh, hunting and stuff, too. It's... Yeah, I've got conflicting views on alone. What about you, Teresa? Well, I definitely notice uh, the size of the trees a lot when people are building their shelters. It seems like I mean, we know from past seasons that people really don't make it much more than 100 days. It would be very, very strange to have someone make it over 100 days at this point. And yet... They're building, they're building like log cabins, like they're going to live in it for years. And these cabins are good enough that they could support somebody for much longer stays. Yeah. Like, that's one of the reasons why the dog tent didn't have a fireplace before is because I'm like, I'm not going to put that much effort and have that big of an impact on the land building something I'll have to take down in a few months. Mm -hmm. That was a few months, you know, not two before I, I don't have a red button. So if you did, would you be pushing it yet? Man, I'd be sitting on that motherfucker right now. What are you talking about? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So that's just something that I wanted to throw in there. And 
It's interesting because I realize what a uh, scale this is. There are certain people who would be listening to me, maybe listening to me right now, that are thinking some of the things I say, like, wow, you know, don't you think about the trees that you have to cut for that? Like, man, I wouldn't, you know, be setting traps or um, feel like I don't have the proper land ethic. So it's kind of a really personal thing. It's a thing that, uh, I don't know, in a way you can't help but judge by your own standards, but also you kind of got to be careful judging because, like, who really gets to say? That's one of the things I've learned about survival, I feel like, is one of the more powerful powerful things I've learned is before I started practicing it, I think I had kind of a view that there was a wrong way to live and a right way to live. The more I get into survival, the more I realize that every living thing creates damage, creates an impact. So there's still, I think, a better way to live and a worse way to live, mainly less impact or more impact. But you got to get squared away that if you're breathing on this planet, you're going to destroy things. You're going to cause pain. You're going to hurt things. You're going to cause fear. You're going to steal things that other things would otherwise use. You've got to find a way to get squared away with that. Okay. I have an update from the first part of this podcast. (laughs) Is this about the flies? Yes. I knew it. Okay. So yesterday, which for us was, what was, what's today? Friday? Saturday? Friday. So yesterday was Thursday. We didn't go to the lake. So I collected flies like Gumby described in the first part in my empty pee jar yesterday morning. And there's like, again, there's like about 20 flies each morning, regardless of where I walk them to and disperse them. Um, so this morning I all, I put in probably at least another 15 more flies and I took them down to the lake. And this time I really tried to like really drown these flies that had, some of them had been sitting in this jar for over a day. And I just started to think, this is barbaric. And as Gumby pointed out after I had this realization. Ineffective. Yeah, because every morning, whether or not they're the same flies, there's like the same number of flies. So why am I doing this? And I I kind of gave myself an out by saying, you know, some of those motherfuckers bite. They actually, they do bite some of them. I don't know if they're like different species or if some of them are just more into biting or... (laughs) Some of them are just assholes. (laughs) Hey, here's a question I just thought of. What? Now, assuming it's not all the same flies actually flying back from their drowning attempt at the lake. Yeah. Isn't it strange that even though... This is kind of a neat experiment. What are the implications? Because we've left the flies before. The numbers don't increase. They fill a certain niche that, would you say, Hmm. probably includes around 15 or 20 flies. That's about how many come in the van at night. Yeah. Now, we let that go. The numbers didn't increase or really decrease over a winter. Here we have another winter. You're taking every single one sometimes or as close as you can come every morning, and then the same number returns. What does that mean? That is really strange. Is there just like a whole, a big waiting list? Like this is the fucking red carpet in Hollywood and all these flies are just lined up like, man, if I just wait long enough, one of those dudes, like he's going to take a field trip and not come back if you know what I'm saying. Man. And I'm going to get a spot in that van. Wow. Well, you did point out all the amazing features of our minivan home. Yeah. So and what if we learned about them. fly territory? 
they feel like 20 of them can fit in there. Mm-hmm. Isn't that kind of interesting? That is interesting. Whatever, whatever they tell other flies, after around 20, 50 never come in. But since they get replaced so fast, we have to assume there's enough flies around here for at least 50 to come in, right? It seems that way. Yeah. Because there's plenty outside of the van as well as inside of the van during the day. This is some hobo van tracking we're doing. This oh is interesting shit. So, hobo biology. Hobiology. Oh, damn. Hobiology. Hobiology. Wow, you beat me to that one. Um, I think you should... <laughs> You take a drink of beer. I think you should come clean about the um, atrocities you do. You be careful the things you say to a hobo. I'm clean. Them's fighting words. Uh, what about the atrocities that you inflict upon our, you, what is that called? USB light. Oh, yeah. While we're on the subject of uh, kind of van life uh, things, um, we got this light. <laughs> And it's our main light in the van. It's what we turn on at night. Um, not the van light, because I just, I don't know, I feel like that, uh, I don't want to risk draining any more battery power. Yeah, this is a USB-charged light that it has a clip on it, like a book-reading light. Yeah, and isn't it mainly used, I think, in, like, uh, symphony orchestras, like musicians yeah. reading their sheet music? Yeah. It's got I, that long neck. Yeah, it's like a long, bendable neck. You, you probably know what we're talking about. So there's this awkward thing that... Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how this got started, but now it's become a thing. Like, it is it is a thing. And that light has a little plug-in hole, like, on, kind, the, base. on the base of it. And at night, Behind. since it's a source of light, if it's starting to get dim, we sometimes want to plug it into a charger. So it feels really dirty because we're, like, bending the long neck of this light, and the light kind of looks like its face, you know, to stare into what's sort of like its own asshole. And then not only is that kind of weird and kinky, but then we take this cord and we shove it up in its asshole while it's watching us. Yeah, so... There's what that. What is wrong with us? So that might be one reason why they invented TV. There's what happens when you don't have TV to watch and you're just sitting in a van. Okay, we got to go to this topic next, even though we're I don't think we're going to get into it very much. But last night, we watched the first part of this documentary on Al, Alfred oh, Kinsey. Rem, yeah. And remember, we are actually planning on doing an episode on this, so we don't want to get much into this. Oh, my God. At first... I'm watching this documentary I pulled up on YouTube, which is kind of dangerous because you don't you don't know what's on YouTube. It could just be some crazy shit that somebody just made up. And I'm watching this, and at first it's got, like, really, really cheesy acting. <laughs> it's got, like, George Washington and, like, uh, yeah. Someone acting like George Washington. <laughs> it's for like a, scene, a high school really, play played by adults. <laughs> yeah, for really no reason. I'm like, this could have been left out, and I would have been fine. Played by Christian adults, if you know what I'm saying. If you've ever seen something, like, put out by a church that's, like, supposed <laughs> to be fiction, you know exactly the level of acting I'm describing. It was, it, I, look, I kept looking at Gumby, like... What the hell are we watching? So I kind of jumped ahead a few minutes just to get us out of that really awkward acting. And it starts getting into all this shit about Alfred Kinsey. All right. Do you real like, keep in mind, we're going to do an episode. So know, all the I, things we could be talking about. I know, I know, I know. I'm going to wrap it up really quickly. I just, if you don't know about Alfred Kinsey, you can wait until we put out an episode. But um, also just, I mean, just. Google that shit and read some of the shit. 
Well, I know a good segue that talks about something else, but it's related to what you're saying, because where we first, this kind of got back on our radar, we might have run into the name before, but this is where it really got on our radar. Oh, good segue. Yeah, right? Yeah. Is We watched a documentary that's getting a lot of attention and talk right now called uh, What is a Woman? And uh, hosted, I guess, created by Matt Walsh. So, Teresa, what are some scenes or uh, impressions that occur to you when I first mentioned that documentary? Oh my God, I am so glad you didn't ask me what is a woman. That, you know that's coming. <laughs> um, what are some scenes that I that really impressed yeah. me? Okay, right now, if I ask you, hey, Teresa, what was a scene and what is a woman? What pops in your head first? Okay, one of the things that pops into my head first thing is Matt Walsh went with a camera a camera crew or something to a women's rights march. Mm. And he goes to a group of women, ask me how I know, <laughs> and there's like four... Ask me how I know. There's four women, and he asks these attendees of the women's rights event, what is a woman? And they just nervously, without a sound, just kind of stand there and like, let their eyes wander, maybe looking at each other. Do they not have any idea? Because aren't they at an event for women's rights? How do you champion champion something you cannot define? <laughs> Too many shortcuts, man. And all he was doing that we saw, you know, of course, we're watching a documentary. Things can be edited out. But as far as I can tell, the main thing he was doing at this Women's March is wearing a big sign that said, what is a woman? And he had a megaphone asking, excuse me, can I ask you, what is a woman? Can someone tell me what a woman is? Basically just pushing that question. Yeah. And the (laughs) reaction started off with like individuals kind of pulled aside and like just like a deer in headlights, like, oh, you know, they're looking at each other like, um, <laughs> but then people start spreading the word about like avoiding him and they start doing some kind of chant. Do you remember what they chanted? It was something like, get out or we don't want you here or yeah, something. It was a lot of hostility and all the man was doing. Imagine attending a comic book convention <laughs> and you've got a big sign that says, what is a comic book? You got a megaphone. You say, hey, excuse me. Can somebody tell me what a comic book is? Would anybody duck that question? Probably Uh, not. Now, the argument might be, but comic books aren't alive. They don't have gender identities. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to that, Teresa? Mm, I'd probably just look nervously around and stay quiet. (laughs) Um, Well, thanks for, yeah, putting me on the spot. Well, regardless if one is not alive and one is, it's a question, and I think it's a valid question. So putting it in there, it's it's like irrelevant information to be asking what something is. You're looking for a definition. It's not a violence yeah, or a harm. As some people, like especially if you're Facebook friends with me know, I like go looking for debates, and this is how I know what other people are thinking, what you know, I want to know what the other side is thinking. I don't want to just have a view and like, yeah, this is why it sucks. I want to be able to tell you what they think. So I've had recent debates with uh, a couple of people on the left or uh, people I know actually out in the community, and they're actually good debaters. They're like smart people, 
they don't just call me a Nazi and say a few words they learned in college that don't mean shit. And then like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I can't talk to you anymore. You're mean. Um, some people actually debate and some debates are pretty good. And this one guy is like, he's debating with me about it. And he says, you know, it's a social reality, gender identity. And he's given good examples. Like if I were to enter some tribe, um, they might not consider me a man until I have married, until I have hunted, until I have been circumcised or, you know, whatever the ritual is in that tribe. And so by their tribe standards, I am not a man. So he's trying to bring my attention to a reality involved in a social construct, Mm -hmm. that a social construct creates a type of reality. But the thing is, that's true, but it's all in people's head. I understand that a social reality is in a shared reality by more people, and so it, you might say, has more clout. But the basic question is a biological question. What we understood before is, yeah, people have different thoughts, different opinions, but it's all in their head. What we're, Our common ground is the shared reality, which biology is more a study of. Biology is more a study of the shared reality. Hey, I think I just had an insight. I don't think I realized this in these terms. Biology is more a study of our shared reality. Social construct is more a study of our different realities. Hmm. So when you are talking to someone, you may down the road get into different realities, but it is a completely non-productive, insane way to try to interact with other people. First, we have to operate from our common ground. This is a reality more described by biology. So when someone asks, what is a woman? It's okay. a biological question. Is it though? Here's, yeah. a, here's, a, here's a question. What if Matt Walsh was asking, what is a female? I'd say it's the same thing. I hmm. So you're saying maybe female is the biological reality and woman could be interpreted... As a social construct. Well, then how come if it's that easy... How come we don't hear more of that argument? I've got to assume. I, I would go <laughs> along with that. I'm brilliant right now. That's why. <laughs> uh, that was my first guess. Yeah. I would assume, I mean, that makes a certain sense. If we could agree on that as a culture, like, okay, a woman can be both and female. That's a, a really good question. I could go along with that, and it seems to me like most people could go along with that. Most that's the uh, that's the sticking point to all this, I think. Because that would enable, like, let's say women's sports. Okay, that's ambiguous by the new definition of woman. That could be mm-hmm. gender or biology. Yeah. But if people that wanted to have natal women competing against natal women and all agreed this is what's most fair for our natal women, natural-born women. Or females. We could have a females competition. Yeah. Yeah. Because but if, you know that's not going to – that's the reason why this hasn't been settled. You know the fucking trans movement and everything is not going to be cool with that because yeah, what they the want to do yeah. is invade. Right. So that would start arguing about females. And yes. prove me wrong. If, if there's anybody that's sympathetic to the trans movement, prove me wrong. Please, I would love to see this shit get settled where people aren't arguing about stupid fucking bullshit. Um, it would be beautiful if we just agreed on some words. That would be wonderful. Like, I was just thinking about the definition of what a woman is, is an adult human female. And that's what Matt Walsh's wife said at the end. Spoiler. Yeah. Oh, yeah, at the end of the movie. No! Yeah, people are like, why don't you ask a woman? So finally at the end he goes and asks his wife, like, uh, dear, what is a woman? And she's like, an adult human female. 
And then she hands him like some jar and says, who needs help opening this? <laughs> oh, yeah, there were some aspects of the the documentary that were a little cringeworthy. Even though I agree, I, I kind of see why you're saying cringeworthy. Isn't that a fucking fact? I oh, mean, she's I pointing asked... to a biological reality that yeah. we all know and wasn't a problem. If 20 years ago I would have said, hey, ever notice how women tend to need more help opening jars than guys? Nobody would have a problem with that. We all know it's true. Yeah. It's not there for you to like or dislike. It's just true. Yeah. Women could in turn say, hey, ever notice how more women know how to fucking cook their own meals than guys? <laughs> that would also be true. And any guy who's worth a damn would chuckle at that because he'd see that's true. It's not that, there for me to like or not like. It's just true. That's called tit for tat. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. Damn. But yeah, I was on a roll and uh, now I, I'm off. It's did okay. I derail you? It's okay. What were you What were you on a roll about? Well, Maybe I, I can just, help you get back. Well, I was just trying to get like kind of dissecting down to like, what are we talking about when we say woman? Are we talking about an adult human female? Which would mean, wouldn't you say, like you were saying before, like the synonym, like female is woman? But some people don't believe I believe that. that's a sticking point that's intentionally kept ambiguous. I don't, I feel like someone would have switched over if it was so easy to just say, oh, all right, female. What is a female? Mm-hmm. If we could agree on that. I feel like that is intentionally not allowed as an answer. Do you know what I mean? You're I, like a little confused. Well, that's just the weed, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and the other, another point in the documentary that really stuck out to me and correct me if I'm wrong you're wrong but Matt Walsh was uh talking interviewing a college professor who was oh what a bastard going on and on and on for what I mean they they edited it down to make it short I got such a little bitch talk about cringeworthy yeah looked like he was talking for a good long time hours maybe uh, to define what a woman is. And then after Matt Walsh was kind of like, well, but still, yeah. what is a woman? And didn't wasn't he the one that said, well, why do you even care? Yeah, which is I actually, so. uh, that's another thing. Like, you know, I was talking about engaging with the leftists a lot to see what they say. That's something you will actually encounter a lot is people will eventually say, why do you even care? You could be talking about children getting molested. You could be talking about children getting sterilized, poison, genital mutilation. And their response, these uh, loving people, you know, that fly these colorful flags and just say, love, love, love is, why do you even care? <laughs> Oh my God, it's somebody else's kid getting their dick cut off. What's it to you? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and my mom had said that to me last summer when she came to visit, and uh, we were driving up to Ohio last summer, and I was just kind of, I don't know why, bringing up topics that are, uh, you know, all all going to be a debate. So my mom just basically asked me, as I was describing the things about trans and bathrooms and locker rooms and everything. Why do you even care? I had a harder time answering it back then than I do now because I I think this documentary, along with some other things since we've watched the documentary a number of days ago, have really opened my eyes to what that why do you even care entails. Like, who's the person asking that? I think that question does what it's intended to, which is to kind of stun you. And what I've learned to answer that question oh, yeah. is to re-describe what I'm describing. Like, I'm describing children 
you even have children who are experiencing abuse, who are being propagandized, who are being led into decisions over their bodies with permanent effects, sterilization. You can't reverse that shit. Their tits cut off, genital mutilation, uh, poisoning their bodies. These puberty blockers, if they stay on them long enough, I've heard from doctors, guarantee cancer. Um, these have permanent effects. So my question always is to turn it around. They're trying to normalize everybody doing their own thing. You're a weirdo because you care. What are you, a busybody in other people's business? <laughs> what a fucking inhuman dick. The normal thing. Don't let them normalize that shit. We need to renormalize. It's normal to give a fuck when kids are getting uh, led into shit this destructive. I'm an elder. One of the jobs of somebody who's getting old in our fucking community is to guide the children, is to temper their extreme impulses, is to remind them something they can't see. They haven't been in this world long enough, which is you're going to see things differently in 20 years. Or I less. swear to you. Yes, or less or more. Some people never see it differently. So that's actually a bit of optimism that you're actually going to be one of the few that actually grows the fuck up. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I always turned around like, why don't you care? Yeah. That's the weird thing. And if it's not the weird thing, if there's more people who don't care, we need to make it the weird thing. People need to start giving a shit. Mm -hmm. Don't be one of those denialists. Ooh, here, here. Well. Is there anything else you want to say about that documentary? Oh, I, I'll say while you're thinking. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, to try to balance it. Let's see, things I didn't like about the documentary. I didn't like the way he started it. It was kind of like... Uh, it was kind of condescending, and then he said people that uh, don't think like him are stupid, and I happen to agree with him. You know, people that hold this view I think are stupid. I just think it was a bad way, a bad a uh, strategy to start a documentary. It kind of starts on a opinionated instead of factual footing. Hmm. And yeah, I, I would have rather he just went a different way. And, and at the end... I didn't have a problem with the end because I felt uh, like it was sort of laughing. At, you're talking about the woman, the, no, his wife? Uh, no, when he like, didn't he take like a sledgehammer to a board? Yeah, that was the, that was actually kind of towards the middle, towards the end. It wasn't the end. Oh. But he pushes his board over in a rage, you know, and Matt Walsh, he just wasn't bringing it. It was like, <laughs> it was kind of like watching a computer nerd, like show you what he thinks throwing a fit looks like. It was God. like, he shouldn't have had that scene in there. It was like, enough, and throws it. It's like, all right, man. Yeah. yeah. But you, he's known you for. You scared me there, man. He's Matt. known for like being, I really also liked his delivery though, because he's. In a not neutral way of saying this, deadpan, but he was so even keeled throughout the show, and that really worked to his advantage because the um, the people that he was talking to on the you know on the street or if he was having an interview with them, asking them about like what is a woman, and they were having a hard time, their emotions got the better of them most most of them, like their mask slipped a little. You know, like even the the nice, sweet-talking doctor therapist lady. And then she kind of got a little bit bitchy, didn't she? The one with the, like, blue hair? Yeah. Oh, God. So when, when Matt Walsh has been that way for the pretty much the whole documentary and then he, like, decides to throw a Matt Walsh tantrum, yeah, they could have just, <laughs> just left Stand that Stand back. <laughs> He's about to tip over that board. Yeah. 
So, but overall, I did like the the just I don't know steady, even keeled tone of him throughout. And I agree with you. Like those two grievances I had were the only criticisms I had of the film. I uh, liked what you're describing, Teresa, and um, his his style of interview. He let people talk. Yeah. I don't like people who interrupt. I don't even care if I agree with you. If you're kind of representing my view, but then you're rude and you're interrupt, I'm like, you just lost that. Yeah, I mean, you made us look bad. I wish you wouldn't represent my view. But I think he did a really good job. He fucking let people talk. He asked questions, you know, Socratic style. Mm-hmm. And uh, he always went back to his basic question, which I think actually was the most powerful thing of this movie. If you're watching... All the shit go down, and you're just like, oh, my God, how is this stuff happening? Um, this is completely insane. And when I counter it, people just start throwing all these college terms and just, like, kind of start spinning, 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 where I don't even know how to argue with them anymore. Or they throw a fit and just walk off. Mm-hmm. Matt Walsh has given us a platform to base our challenge on. The basic question, what is a woman? Now, Why do we even have to ask this? He has this brilliant scene where he goes to Africa, ask a tribe that, and they find it funny that, like, it would even, like, well, you know, just somebody has a baby. I mean, it's simple to them. <laughs> and, um, you know, then Matt Walsh asks, like, well, what if she has a penis? And they just think that's hilarious. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he's like, I have to hear this every day. You know, these are the questions that get asked in America. Do you want to come to America? And they're like, no. Okay, I was debating with leftists. And they said, well, he just cherry-picked one tribe. Many other tribes see a big diversity of genders. Mm. I Genders, yeah. As That was one of the better arguments because it had a point. Okay, he might have probably did cherry-pick one tribe. Let's look at Plains Indians. They're the ones that get um, talked about the most as far as having a uh, gender-fluid ideology. Um, There are people that live as women most of the time. There are uh, people that are, I mean, there's a lot of different, like, Hayokas who do everything backwards. You know, they include more, I guess you could say gender roles in their society. And yet they understand the question. I refuse to believe unless somebody could show me that anybody could walk into a village and say, what is a woman? And that anyone would have any trouble answering immediately and pointing to a woman. There's a difference here. Those people in those roles, from my understanding and research, tend to be people that hold a very unique, often sacred, like almost religious role in the tribe. They are not trying to usurp women. They are not spoiled, entitled, narcissistic little fucking children who are saying, I'm a woman and I want to go in the moon lodge. They're like, but you're not menstruating. Well, that's hate speech. I want to bring in some (laughs) some blood on my own and drip it down my leg and you're all going to say it's menstrual blood because I identify as somebody who's having a period. Oh my God, this is like some hillbilly dude that's like dressed up. It's stupid. It's stupid in any culture, but we're the only culture right now that's stupid enough to treat it like it's not stupid. So that's that's my response to that cherry pick thing. I don't believe there is a tribe that doesn't know what a woman is. They might have different, I mean, every tribe has a diversity of opinions, views of like different roles, but we all know the basics. A man and a woman come together and have a baby. We are the only culture, unless someone can show me different, where you can ask somebody, what is a woman? And they look at you like a deer in headlights. 
Like, I don't know if it's because they don't know what one is or they're just afraid to say. I expect most people it's because they're afraid to say. Or it could be all the chemicals in our diet and everything. But, yeah. So, what else we got? What else have we done? Well, anything else you want to say about what is a woman before we leave? I want to give it a thorough. I want to do it like we do that light. Well, (laughs) 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 oh, boy. They gaze into my own asshole. <laughs> Illuminated. Um, the only thing, I guess, this is kind of more on the administrative side of the documentary. I didn't pay for it. I'm not sure if where I watched it, it's still up. But um, there's, at the time, this is what, late October 2022, there's a possibility you could find it for free. So if you were wondering, like, how we watched it, I had I found a link, and as far as I know, I haven't gotten any sort of virus from the website. So check it out. See if you can find it for free before it's uh, behind a paywall for sure. All right. So one thing I want to share, because I don't think I'm going to uh, have this fresh in my memory next week, is something I saw on Facebook. I'm going to protect names to protect the innocent. But um, somebody I know on Facebook posted this. And I just wanted to share it because it is such a good example of uh, leftist thinking. Mm. So, Teresa, could you read this? I want you to play the role of the person who wrote this. It starts right here. Mm. The black dot is my line, and then yours is the next until that line. Okay. I'll try. Whoa. Where the hell? All right. We were just visited at sunset by a young man in a hoodie, sunglasses, and cut-off long pants, who seemed disoriented and less than truthful. He had parked his car in the cornfield next door, pulled up, pulled way up alongside the forest, walked from there to our kitchen door, and knocked. At first, we thought he was here for the porch pickup, but he did not know about that. He said things like, "'Time travel is real,' that his name was Bubba, and insisted it was October 25th. He also asked for money for gas and said that he was looking for work, but no one was hiring. He would not leave until... That name? Until Joe successfully escorted him down the driveway, back to the road and off the property by walking to get the mail which was when Joe, I don't know if this was making sense to you, which was when Joe saw that there was a hidden car. Joe went back out a few minutes later through the forest and the car was gone. We are now discussing what to do next. I tried unsuccessfully to get a picture of his face. Now, let me say here that uh, this was attached to a picture that was snapped out through the window of the guy leaving. All you can see is the hoodie, a guy whose back is turned with a kind of brownish hoodie. So I ask... Well, first of all, before I say what I ask, what would you ask? What's missing from this? (laughs) This is a person who's describing a potentially dangerous person showing up at her door. She wants the neighborhood, the community to know. She's posting it on Facebook, on social media. She's giving a description of this man, and her one shot, apparently she wanted to get a shot of his face, couldn't. And so her one descriptive shot was his back. All you see is a hoodie. (laughs) I ask you, what's missing? Now, this is what I wrote on Facebook. What's his description besides man and hoodie? I was trying to get her to say it. 
All right, her response. Mid-twenties? Tall and lean, cut off long pants. Wearing sunglasses at dusk. Disoriented? These are all question marks. Intentionally deceptive? Disassociated? Urban? Confused? Hungry? Lost? I start heading quickly into projection and recognize how in my own altered state of defense, it was a struggle to make meaningful observation. Okay, so who are you picturing? This guy, picture him. He turns around. What's he look like? I just gave you a whole bunch of descriptions. Twice, this woman has described this guy I need to look out for. Uh, she wanted a picture to show everybody because we need to look out for this guy. He's dangerous. He sounds crazy. Could be dangerous. <laughs> What's he look like? He looks intentionally deceptive is what he looks like. <laughs> <laughs> and he indeed was. Disoriented. Yeah. Um, but I Thank took you. the one word urban and I'm like, oh, he sounds black. So I asked. Turns out, according to her, he's white. So... What the fuck? We don't even know what race this guy is because we're so woke that we want to pretend like that. We just didn't even think of it. It didn't even seem important to me. I, it didn't. I, you know, we're still kind of doing the I don't see color. At the same time, we're like, let's focus completely on cover because that com- color, because that completely defines a reality. Black people have a whole different America that they're living in today than white people. And they're getting shit on. That's the narrative we're fed. But... How can we know who these black people are? We don't see color. It doesn't even come up in a description of guy that might be dangerous. <laughs> it's like the women's rights activist not knowing what a woman is. Yeah. And then she ended up calling the cops. And, uh, oh, my God, you can imagine, like, with a uh, – there was a lot of, like, well, you know, I, I'm around the corner next time. So if you want to do something other than call the cops – you know, I mean, it was just she was trying so hard not to be a white woman who called the cops on a black man. And Teresa, didn't you run into a another post. another post kind of of this nature? And by the way, two posts of this nature. I don't know what the fuck's going on, but if you live in town, apparently there's a rash of people just walking up to your house or walking up in your house. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. Lock yeah. the door. So because they're coming in, they're just like. Trying to get in your house. And, and this, yeah, go ahead. I want you to describe this uh, post in a minute, but uh, one thing I want to say, because I'll probably forget if I wait, is the black people that would uh, comment on this post were totally like, fuck yeah, you better call the cops. <laughs> what are you, stupid? It's only these white people like, oh no, we're not supposed to call the cops on black. It's not about black people, you dumbass. You know, this person that walked up to the, the, the liberal's house was white. It's about somebody that's fucking creeping you out, acting crazy, coming up in your yard, and sometimes in your house. I'm really surprised that because of all the um, kind of building tension around white men, that she didn't just come out and say he was a white man. Like, it's one thing if he wasn't a white man, like if he was a person of color, but... You, you see what I mean? That is puzzling, yeah. Yeah, but maybe I'm more racist than she. I don't know. It's yeah. possible. Yeah, it's, it is it is strange, you know? That's the one, like, race you would expect to get put up there. But I could smell his race. toxic masculinity <laughs> all the way from the end of the driveway. I could just smell it. Now, if she would have put the adjective privileged in there, I would have known right away who she was talking right. about. Right. Privilege only has one color. 
Yeah. I mean, I could be just like totally misreading this. This could just be someone who this isn't based on wokeness, but just is that bad at a description that doesn't realize race is like that important. Like if I am looking out for someone, it is vitally important whether I think I'm looking for a Chinese man Mm -hmm. or a black man. Right. I mean, that really helps me narrow down a person I need to be aware of for whatever reason potentially crazy, dangerous, yeah, whatever. Because think about this. Let's say that you go with her original description and you see someone, you live in her neighborhood and you see someone with a hoodie and cut off shorts. Now, the rest of this person, you have no idea. Maybe they are going around asking for donations for a, uh, I don't know, children's hospital or something. I don't know. What if you call the cops on them because maybe that person has, you know, a different skin color, but they had every other description? It's just adding to the description. It's not being racist to say what somebody looks like. Once it becomes racist to say, like, I'm a white woman, I I think it's coming probably. We're going to be in a really interesting um, yeah, like if you think communication is difficult now, imagine when you have to keep editing out things that you're seeing with your eyes. It reminds me of what I was saying earlier about biology being a reality and, um, gender being more like, you know, social construct, which is the biology is the shared reality, social construct, our own realities. Politics is also eclipsing observation. I believe this is an example, and I've seen other examples that I know full well, that the politics are what influence the description. And again, the description, what is helpful is the shared reality. We all know what black man means. You can take exception to that I didn't say person of color, but we know what I meant. I successfully communicated. I successfully used words for what words are for, which is to communicate information. That happened. But when you avoid the shared reality, when politics get you to kind of like take a stance like, oh, we're not supposed to say color, we're not supposed to see color, whatever's going on, that hurts the physical shared reality description, it's the Tower of Babel. We keep going back to that story. It is complete breakdown of communication. Who knows what the fuck anybody's talking about? I'm not in your head. And that's what happened with this other post that um, I'm not going to try to read it verbatim because I don't even have my um, device on to read it. But it was basically talking about this uh, this young man who was going around trying people's doors and uh, coming in if the door was unlocked, which, I mean, if you live in Durham and you have your doors unlocked, kind of, I mean, <laughs> you know what You're I mean? You're waiting to try out your kung fu or something. Yeah, something. So um, this woman, I'm she's... Uh, presenting as a woman is like her words. Uh, she posted this and what happened was that comments were deleted. So there was a person that, um, turned in other people for saying violent things, like something to the effect of like, if they would have tried my door, I would have given them a free rhinoplasty or something, you know, like shot their face. And, and so person X told on person Y. Person Y's comments got deleted from the thread and person X's comments remained. 
So person X in the conversation looked like he was batshit crazy because he was saying things like, I don't think that a person walking into your house warrants them, warrants you saying you're going to shoot them in the face. Although, to be fair, I mean, that's your private property. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate if that happens. You know, it's better if it turns out that somebody didn't have to get shot in the face, but it is kind of a line that gets crossed. I think it's part of the natural order. So then people were trying, they were starting to like cancel this person X because they were like, what are you talking about? No one is saying they're going to shoot anybody's face off. And then somebody else chimed in and was like, no, no, he's referring to comments that were deleted by the admin of the page. And yeah, person X was like, then saying, uh, yeah, I was, yeah, it's not that I was making it up and it's not that I'm batshit crazy, but thanks for all pouncing on me. Meanwhile, a woman who is a person of color, uh, said in the comment thread, cancel me if you must, but I am definitely in favor of calling the cops. And that stood out to me because I was like, cancel you. Oh my God. She's just, she's thinking that she could be, uh, deleted from the group or, you know, put in Facebook jail. Which happens. Just because she said, I think that you should call the cops if someone tries to walk into your home and is not invited. You can get canceled for that. You can get arrested in Canada, which (laughs) is like our closest cousin, for misgendering your own child. So this woman, I don't know if you're trying to kind of, if you're like kind of thinking, huh? That never happened. Yeah, and she's being sarcastic. You can't, might not pick up on her sarcasm. We both know that happened, yeah. which is another thing that was uh, shown in What is a Woman? Um, but this woman, I don't, I feel like you're kind of describing her as being a little uh, overreactive. Yeah, I thought. I don't think she yeah. is, because that's what I'm trying to say. Like, if someone can get arrested for misgendering their own child, she, I feel like, is being very realistic that having a point of view that doesn't seem to align with someone else's politics um, could get her kicked off a social media platform. Wow. We see, I mean, we see shit like that every day. Yeah. So I don't think she was really being overreactive. A little funny the way she worded it, but I don't think she was being overreactive. Um, that's the type of stuff that's out there. And more and more, you know, I wasn't on there to debate. I really... Um, I've really been trying to avoid the internet. I know I've been on there a lot trying to find out about food pantries um, because I'm doing a little project since that information just, I don't know, Durham's a mess. But yeah, so just dipping into like, you know, different pages to see if anybody's giving away a futon or something um, and seeing all these really strange interactions with people. It's, It's fallen apart. They're attacking each other. And they don't even know what the hell they're attacking. It's all social media isn't real life. It's not. It is and it isn't. But mostly it isn't. So you're missing out on a lot of things just by following social media. Because that conversation, if you would have had all the people in the room, they wouldn't have started attacking person X. And maybe the woman that said, you know, cancel me because I think that you should call the cops. But I think maybe she wouldn't have said it like that. Well, I want to say one more thing before I forget to finish off a thought here, because I don't want to just leave, I think it's the natural order hanging in the air. That could sound really bad. What I mean by that is if somebody enters your personal space, you know, the original post, 
your home, walks right in. I think it is good if someone does find a way to um, resolve that situation without violence. And without law enforcement? With Sure. You know, as peacefully as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can find a way, that's great. But I also don't think we should fault anybody who shoots someone who does that. That's what I mean by natural order. If you are a threat to another creature, that's natural law. That creature has the right to defend itself. And walking up in your personal space, that big of a breach of social protocol, I think qualifies as a serious threat. That person, um, I mean, why would someone do that? It's one thing if somebody's running through your door with blood, like, oh my God, I need help, call 911. It's something if somebody is like, you know, just in dire straits in an emergency. It's another thing if somebody is not apparently in dire straits. And even then, you run up in somebody's house, you're taking a risk. Like, we have a right to protect ourselves. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm saying. So, you know, if you can solve it peacefully, great. But if you can't, if you just need to protect yourself, that person shouldn't be criticized. We need to stay out of running into other people's houses. Yeah, and there's a lot of people out there that are not well. Um. Whether they, you know, their family doesn't want them to go to some sort of facility. I'm not in favor necessarily of, you know, locking people up, putting people away because they're, they're crazier than, I don't know. I don't know if they're crazier than the regular rest of the population. But they're exhibiting things that are not safe for themselves or for others. I don't know what the solution is, but there's a lot of those people out there. That's all I want to say. You're kind of like that liberal that's afraid to say what the race of somebody is. You know damn well some of those people are crazier than the rest of the population. That guy that's walking around that's like uh, having fights with people that aren't there, he's got something going on. He's not like – You're right. I mean, maybe uh, I'm not saying there isn't some energy that could have been channeled differently and he could have been a shaman in another context. But in this context, that guy's delusional. He's got a a break with reality. And uh, until recently, I would lean more on the side of like, oh, but maybe we're no. I think we need to start admitting like uh, there is a shared reality. There is an aspect, as I I think we talked about. Well, it was like three days ago for us, (laughs) but I think the first part of this podcast of a, a shared reality. But the thing we really need to focus on is put our attention on – I mean, there is a uh, a different reality, a less defined reality. But where we need to put our focus is on the shared reality because that's where we can do work. If we're not ready for that different reality, and we are not, not as a culture, yeah, not to base a culture on, then yeah, that's where we need to put our focus. And I forgot what even got me starting to talk about that. I was doing so well, man. Mm-hmm. I was putting thoughts together and everything. Yeah. But anyway, is there uh, anything else you want to say on that? N- no. I would like to know if anyone out there has had or seen similar exchanges and maybe maybe they think differently about it. Yeah. And do you uh, are you holding up enough for one more topic? Or should we leave? No, I'm holding, I'm holding up enough for one more topic. Go okay, ahead. Okay, one thing else I would like to talk about while it's freshest in our minds, and I don't personally have a whole lot to say about this because it was so detailed, and I don't have a mind for that. Teresa has a better mind for... Oh, Lord. I'm more the philosopher. Teresa's more the, like, picking up details about stuff and remembering, like, that kind of stuff. Oh, boy. So it was uh, the real Anthony Fauci, right? Mm-hmm. Based on the book by Robert Kennedy, and this was the documentary made of that book. Robert Kennedy Jr., yep. And I guess one thing I'll share is Robert Kennedy is like, 
um, losing his voice, like his uh, he has throat spasms or something, and his voice comes out like it barely comes out. It sounds really painful. It's like he's being strangled while he's talking. Yeah, so it was kind of painful, the documentary. I mean, on the one hand, I was like, I kind of made a joke at the beginning, like, oh, please don't let him narrate this. Mm-hmm. Turns out he's the narrator. Yeah. Spoilers! <laughs> but Teresa, you know, tuned in on another aspect of that is it's kind of cool that a guy that's having that much trouble speaking feels like this is that important that he needs to speak out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just kind of quick, like, are there any things you want to share about that that you learned or opinions or anything about that documentary? Mm. Well, first and foremost, again, housekeeping, because um, we are not rich. We're comfortable. We're comfortably living in our minivan. <laughs> Uh, by not working. Um, the, when we watched it, there was the ability to watch it for free on some sort of like freedom platform. You just had to put in an email address. I just put in a junk email address. Um, that may or may not be available anymore by the time you hear this podcast, but hopefully somebody will get it bootlegged to you and you won't have to pay for it. Um, but yeah, the real Anthony Fauci, Um, I read some reviews on Amazon and what it seems like the biggest, uh, criticism or attack that people could say about it was, uh, like, well, Robert F. Kennedy used this bogus study on autism. So after that, and this was for the book, by the way, and after that, I just stopped. I couldn't read anymore because his information was so faulty and, I didn't even think I picked up on that part of the um, the facts that were delivered. I just looked more at actually the overall picture, which was, uh, hey, guys, um, the government might be, like, doing crazy shit again in conjunction with really rich people. Surprise! <laughs> and, and really, it was, for me, less about Anthony Fauci, even though he was, like, the linchpin between all of these goings-ons in our history— Um, it was less about Fauci and more about like, holy shit, I, it's, uh, it's a really dirty culture that we live in. Like when I say dirty, I mean just like underhanded, deceitful, uncaring. Um, so yeah, this both surprised me and didn't. Yeah, I highly recommend this documentary. It's long. It's not the easiest thing to watch. It's in two parts, and I would say, for me, I mean, part one was uh, much more information than part two, although part two is worth watching as well. Yeah, and it's just stuff we all need to know about. Like, Big Pharma has made some huge moves. Most of us realize that this kind of uh, take on chemicals um, got started during World War II to create weapons. And that stuff got rechanneled into agriculture with all these excesses of weapons, of these chemicals sitting around. You know, these wonderful, brilliant geniuses figured out a way to make money off of this stuff. Instead of just it going to waste and polluting the environment, now I can make money and pollute the environment and our bodies. (laughs) And this really brings our attention, this documentary, to starting around 1984, I think, ironically. Um, But somewhere in the, the 80s is when legislation started getting passed that made this a hugely, like, standards got lifted. And so the the big pharma industries just began to spread and take over more things, including the things that were meant to monitor them. Mm-hmm. So 
it was an eye opener. I thought I knew how powerful big pharma was, and it uh, showed me some more things. I'm like, God, Jesus, I didn't know they were that powerful. Um, they got their hands in everything. I mean, back to the tranny uh, stuff. You know how much it it uh, costs to get a sex change? How much money a doctor makes for every sex change? Mm. Um or as I'm trying to call it, sex mimicry operation. Because I thought I was kind of backing away for gender affirmation and doing a pretty good job of saying, no, it is actually a sex change. But Teresa pointed out, they don't actually change their sex. You can't do that. So I realized I was still participating in a lie. Yeah. So now I'm trying to train myself to say sex mimicry operation. That's, I think, the most honest way I can describe what's going on. You are getting an operation to mimic another's sex. You are not, in fact, that sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As has been pointed out, and I think got pointed out in What is a Woman, but I've uh, seen it pointed out before, is 100 years from now, someone could look at our bones and know, whether you got a sex change or not, the difference between a man and a woman. <laughs> It's or real. Male or female. Male or female, yeah. I mean, it's down to our bones. It's it's real. And I'm not saying technology isn't going to fucking screw with shit monstrously, and one day that might not be the case, and we'll have a different debate going on, but that is the case right now. Um, but yeah, that, that Fauci movie, or the real Anthony Fauci, I, yeah, I definitely also would recommend it. Mm-hmm. What was the most surprising thing you learned? Oh, jeez. Um, I don't know if I would say I learned it, but listening to Robert Malone again, because we've heard him in a couple interviews, um, there was like a, a documentary that had him in it that we shared a number of months ago. Um, but listening to him again, describe like what he was involved in and, and hearing other people in the show talk about like how viruses were they were studied and then they were mimicked to create like biological weapons um, and kind of Malone's own involvement in that. Uh, that was really eye opening. And two things that weren't really new news to me, but kind of got uh, shared in a way that brought it back home to me is how these vaccines apparently are doing things like creating blood, blood clots. Oh, yeah. Oh, which God. are creating uh, increase in strokes, heart attacks, which we have seen. I mean, I can't tell you how many years I never heard of somebody in my personal, like who I knew having a heart attack and what that's been like for the last two years. All vaccinated people and strokes and heart attacks. And also how it is destroying the immune system of people. And Teresa and her own family has seen some really uh, suggestive um, examples of this. Mm -hmm. So that just kind of reminded me of like, there's so much going on. It's so easy to forget one thing because now you're caught up in talking about like, what is a woman? <laughs> and it's like, uh, you know, I forgot about the last nightmare that had not resolved itself that they've got us in. What is a vaccine? Yeah. What is a vaccine? <laughs> and, um, apparently nobody can really answer that except the people that don't want to say what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that was something that really struck me. You know, we have come back to our winter camp and just, like, blown through a number of crazy documentaries and, uh, and like, you were reading, oh, did you want to talk about your book or just wait? How are you holding up? I could go either way. Uh, maybe you want to save it. Yeah, we can wait because I'm only halfway through it. 
All but right. it's uh, just because Teresa brought it up, I'll tell you what the book is. It's called The Hand That Signed the Paper, written by Helen Dale. And it's uh, famous for being one of the first books to have been um, opposed by the tactics that are now are, now are called cancel culture. Hmm. And uh, this was in the 90s, yeah. So hopefully I'll talk more about that coming up. Yeah, we've had a lot of very strange, uh, dark subjects kind of thrust at us right away um, coming back. But maybe we could end on like a positive note of beauty. Well, I think I know what you're trying to segue towards, eh? Oh, actually, no, but yes. Oh. Perfect. I was talking about like the pretty leaves in the fall, but yeah. Oh, that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They are pretty, though. We're getting coming into November, and man, the maples, wow, they glow. Like, oh, wow. So we were thinking how cool it would be. Like, we were talking about the Tao Te Ching in the beginning of the podcast, and we said Sherlock's reading his chapter, mine, Teresa's, you know, depending on our birth uh, year. So we were thinking, wow, what if we read one for this podcast? What might the Tao Te Ching have to share with this podcast specifically? Well, obviously, we said there's 81 chapters. There's not 128. This is mile marker 128. Um, And we could have gone different ways. Yeah, we had to figure out a way that made sense of like, well, what would take us to a chapter? So when we add up the numbers, uh, 128, it's 11, which happens to be my favorite chapter in the Tao Te Ching. I've even talked about this one chapter before in former episodes of our podcast because it's my favorite chapter. Um, And it is called, it's chapter 11, it's called The Uses of Not. N-O-T. Yeah, Not. And uh, I've got a lot of uh, thoughts on this, but I think I kind of want to spare the listener. What do you think? Yes. Are you comfortable not commenting on this? Yeah. All right. I want the listener to just take this in and you interpret it however you will. I think this is profound. 30 spokes meet in the hub. Where the wheel isn't is where it's useful. Hollowed out. Clay makes a pot. Where the pot's not is where it's useful. Cut doors and windows to make a room. Where the room isn't, there's room for you. So the profit in what is is in the use of what isn't. That shit just blows me away. Mm-hmm. What a deep... Well, I said I wasn't going to comment on it. So... Um, <laughs> I guess if we're kind of, this is our out. Yes. All right. So have we talked enough for this one? I think we have. Okay. We try to shoot for a half hour. So and we got to go get water. We got to go. Yeah. This is water. a busy day. We got a long walk to a water fountain to get water. We ran out of water. So a lot to do making the chimney. And I just want to wish everybody a happy Halloween. Um, what a fun holiday where we get to wear masks and pretend like we're things we're not. <laughs> so have a woke, woke Halloween. <laughs> You know, they need to come out with a fucking uh, holiday where we take our masks off and actually admit who we are. That would be a profound holiday. Every day is Halloween. It's clown world. Wow. Indeed. If you have any comments or questions or just want to contact us, we have a website, escapingsociety at weebly.com. Be as in boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. (laughs) Um, what is a boy? And, uh, 
from our website, we have a uh, Facebook page, YouTube channel, all the stuff that when you're escaping society you would have. And we also have a donate button because uh, you don't need money. Just give it to us. We'll, we'll make good use for, of it for you. <laughs> I don't believe you. You stumbled on your word. She's lying. We're going <laughs> to blow it like a <laughs> motherfucker. Oh, so, yeah, is there anything else? I think I'm good. i got to go pee anyway. Okay. All right. Bye. And we don't need it It's killing your kids So why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay But you don't need to heed it You can give them the finger There's no time to linger So Thank you for listening to our song It's not very good And it went kind of long Don't care if you like it Cause we'll be gone Over that next horizon We ain't got no address